Welcome to Shelved by Genre, a show about types of literature and the worlds they imagine. This season, we're reading Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun, and this episode is about chapters 25 through the end of The Sword of the Lictor. For a list of content warnings, please check the episode description. I am Cameron, and here stapled to my body are Michael and Austin. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> For the second episode in a row. I'm speaking very quietly here at the beginning. Kill me. Ignore them. Kill kill, me. Just kill, kill me. They're not about, I'm nude. Ignore them. <laughs> I'm a big nude man. Ignore them. <laughs> I can't control my own erections. Ignore ignore that too. <laughs> ignore that too. I'll just touch it. Don't worry about it. And Gene's going to really explain that to you about why he's doing that. He, mm-hmm. No, no, because he says he doesn't control his involuntary con- muscles or whatever. Yeah. But my guy, your hand is voluntary. Yeah, it is voluntary. Yeah. You're just going at it. You're He's pawing just at yourself. At that's that's the that's the power. Well, you you see, on- sometimes you're dead for uncountable killiads, uh-huh. and you wake up for a day, and yeah. uh-huh. it's natural. <laughs> yeah. The first thing you start doing is cranking it. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not the You're world's first You're inside a room the size of your head. Yeah. You know, or the <laughs> size of a mountaintop. It's you. I'm also in space. I'm also down yeah. below. I'm everywhere, you know? Yeah. You're that guy. Yeah, that's right. Really, this reading opens with the the most powerful that guy to ever be in literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. is that guy. Oh. I still can't believe, Austin, that you did not... Like I when you I said here, I know yeah. when you said yes. that you had yes. uh, however many months ago, right? Whenever you said that you had stopped reading at like just past the midpoint of Lictor uh-huh. or whatever, I was like, oh yeah, so like assuredly he got to Typhon. <laughs> Did yeah. not. Well, I assume you, you got through Typhon because then it slows down a little bit, and I was like, oh, you got to the lake and you quit reading. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing is that I got to it was it was even before that, right? I got to the I got through the. Um, the tale of the boy called frog and i got to like mm-hmm. the beginning of the sorcerer stuff and that's when i stopped right and wow. so not quite halfway i guess it's just about halfway actually right mm-hmm. yeah. let's, let's what i thought it's just past halfway so yeah i if i had known if i had known <laughs> that typhon and pieton were here i would have kept going typhon and pieton uh all timers in terms of like uh just characters in literature I mean, I think this whole reading, again, is kind of killer. Um, I left this one feeling like, you know, for weeks I have been privately to myself, maybe months, saying, Mm -hmm. what if I end up being the book four and Earth of the New Sun Defender? Yeah, I could be that guy. I could be the one who's like, I might be. Who knows, right? But I left this book being like, and that was the end of the book of the New Sun. (laughs) I don't need any (laughs) more. Well, you can kind of feel at the end of this one. And we'll get, uh, obviously we'll talk about yeah. this in more detail, but you can feel like where this is going, you know, like when he yeah. reveals the secret of the guild and you're like, ah, oh, uh-huh. And then like the end of this thing is like, and I contemplated the Bible real hard yeah. and mm-hmm. realized that was like the best way of contemplating truth. You can feel where this whole thing is like funneling into mm-hmm. and it's not as interesting as the previous books, I think. I think know? that that's, I, that seems yeah. correct so far. Uh, but, it, but but everything into yeah. that liter I mean even through that point I think that that's fine I still yeah. think that that's good you know um, but it is the what is it setting up you know what is the ramp we're building to to launch ourselves into the next bit and like maybe it would be better to build the ramp and hit credits you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
And Gene never finished that fourth book. Right. <laughs> so we never, yeah. I mean, I, I will say having, you know, finished it, I actually finished it like during lunchtime today. I think this might be just like top to bottom, the strongest of all four, four and five, obviously. But of, of the four books, I think that just like, it doesn't have the same, um, the shape of the ramp is different, I guess, from, from uh, Claw. Mm-hmm. I think Claw is a better kind of fantasy story. You know, it's got all the stuff about, you know, from from the small village through mm-hmm. Vodalus to the the House Absolute. That's like a lot of cool stuff that happens. But in terms of just like pound for pound, like wild shit going on, <laughs> this is like every two chapters. You're like, okay, there's that. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's great. Oh, they're so going to that castle. Yep. Mm-hmm. I wonder who's going to open the door. Oh, it's him. Okay. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. The, I don't think, yeah, this wouldn't be spoilers. Like my, uh, feeling on this and I'm looking forward to thinking through for the however manyth time uh, my feelings on it when we get to book four uh, but like I remember re- finishing Lictor the first time and setting the book down and being like what the fuck is going to happen because I feel like everything except Severian becoming the autark has been paid off yeah Right. Like like this book, Lictor specifically, has so much payoff to so much stuff. And it's really like delightful and surprising that book four, I was really uh, like had no idea what could possibly happen. Well, it's like a real Empire Strikes Back shit, right? Where Mm -hmm. it's like at the end of the book, what is revealed to be, you know, a pretty significant big bad Mm -hmm. is like out in the world. Yeah. Terminus is blown up. The yeah. claw is blown up. All his magic tools are gone. I, you know, good God. It, it, the only thing that could be worse is if his saber tash had a hole in it, you know, <laughs> like, or like if he lost his cloak, right? Like those yeah, are the only yeah. other like pieces of that. He's abandoned the Guild of Torturers. He's walking around being like, yeah, I'm a fucking master of the torturers. No, you're not even going <laughs> to check. I'm, gr- I'm grand. He's yeah, a grand it. master. Yeah. To the river, the lake people. He's like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grand master. Um, the the biggest big boy the on the earth sent me himself. <laughs> right. Um, so like everything that structured, you know, his being up until this point is annihilated. And so you're like, where is this going to go? And we know he's going to war. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's part of it. And he's going to be the autark. But that seems like some small stuff to to be a whole book. Um, you really feel here at the end that that books three and four were one book split in two. Mm-hmm. I think that feels very clear. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I can, and that's going to feel I, even I guess more. I'm, book I'm excited to see if that how that hits for me because because if it does feel like a real big pivot, it will actually. I'm curious if it actually does feel that way because this feels so. Again, it's just what we already said. It's pound for pound so good, and the momentum mm-hmm. is so strong um, that I'm. I'm I, I left this book excited despite that. So mm-hmm. I think the last book's exciting. Like I, you know, I uh, in a general sense, I think that both Michael and I are like down on it a little bit but it's all it's you know like the whole series so far is like rising action almost right like how much wilder could it get and the answer is not that much wilder Mm -hmm. you know it's and and it kind of turns into a war story which has some cooler resonances not to preview too much but you know like gene wolf served in korea right like there there's some cool stuff and i think maybe at this point in my life you know uh, because I, i don't think i've read these books in maybe five years or something like that um I, I think maybe I'll appreciate it differently too, right? So, yeah. so it's going to be cool, but not to not to preview too much ahead. Um, other stuff that we want to say before we just like get into it because we we do have a lot to get into, 
I don't think so. I think the stuff that I'm going to end up, I mean, I guess this is the place where a lot of the, and maybe this is the the one bit of uh, hesitation, let's say maybe that I, that mm-hmm. I retained is a lot of the previous, a lot of the, the intertext, not the intertext, but the, the internal, you know, texts that are, that are produced throughout mm-hmm. this start to pay off directly in a way where yeah. characters are like, now, wait a second. That puppet show I dreamt was real and it's <laughs> happening to me. Or this is just like the play we put on together twice. Well, Dr. Talis at one point is like, what I, the hell? This is just like Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like funny. straight up. He's like, I never even thought about that before. It's so funny. He's Frankenstein. Uh-huh. And also Frankenstein. Uh-huh. Well, and like there's a little bit of that that's kind of fun because it's like, Baldanders, and again, we should just get here, but there are ways that it applies really neatly. And there's also ways in which Baldanders is the student and the young man um, and Mm -hmm. the Minotaur. You know what I mean? Um, And that's cool. To me, the fact that you can reread Baldanders as all three figures in that story um, is great. Uh, And so like, that's the version of it that I'm really happy with. The parts where it feels more like Severian being like, oh, the thing I dreamt was actually some sort of direct vision of this Mm -hmm. less appealing. Yeah, I mean, you can now feel, and I'll read the summary so we can like actually talk yeah. about the stuff. But but you can now feel like Michael and I how much we had to restrain yes. ourselves yes. talking about Baldanders in 100%. previous episodes, yeah. and every time we've been like, we can't really talk about X yet. And I know that's yeah. going to get more like that as we go forward. But I don't believe we also didn't say the word hero duels yet, which is absurd. <laughs> I think we said hero duels. We've it's in one of the appendices, so we. No, I, I mean know. today in this. Oh yeah. no, today we minutes. haven't. You know, oh, no, not at all. We haven't. And uh, yeah, that's some of the cool. Anyway, right, let me read the summary. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is my summary of what happened uh, in these chapters. It is like the previous several short or at least shorter than my original ones when I'm laying things out. The chapter begins with uh, Severian hearing footsteps and he can't find who they belong to. He's mournful about the death of little Severian and then also asserts that Jolinta and Dorcas had quote unquote sexual play. Severian then meets the two-headed man who was dead earlier. His name is Typhon, and he is attached to a creature called Python. Long ago, Typhon ruled Earth, and he says he will again. He explains that his head was grafted onto Python in order to extend his life, and he needed to keep his head so that he could keep his face. He tells Severian that the plan was eventually to remove Python's head, but that was made complicated by the sudden decline of the sun and an increase in civil unrest back when Typhon ruled the planet. Then the conciliator appeared and began making trouble. Severian is starving, and Typhon attempts to force him into servitude for food. Severian refuses and is attacked, being dangled out over in the open air of the mountains from the eyeball of, uh, of the mountain they're in. Typhon releases him and then explains that uh, he was an ancient autarch, and he'll be the autarch again, enslaving the sea powers and the land dwellers alike. Severian asks if Typhon would enslave the new son if he appears, and Typhon says yes. Severian kills Typhon and kicks him off the mountain. Severian comes to a village and bullies everyone into doing what he wants, and then they capture him by dosing him with mushrooms. They take the claw and send it to the master of the castle. Severian is transported across Lake Diaturna toward the mysterious castle. While traveling across the lake, Severian does a cannonball and soaks some water-activated explosives, blowing up the boat that chained him. Afterward, he meets with people who live on the lake on makeshift islands. 
he learns that the master of the castle has recently returned to the region bearing gifts and that the castle is often visited by people from the sky. Severian ends up leading a small army of lake people to attack the castle and regain the claw. He also reveals a secret of his order to the reader. Severian assaults the castle and finds out that Dr. Talos and Baldanders live there. They let him in. He learns that they're keeping prisoners and that Baldanders is, ta- is talking to cacogens. Dr. Talos praises Severian's respect for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. What follows is a conversation with the hero duels that is so laden with meaning and ideas that I cannot summarize it here. <laughs> it is also revealed that Dr. Talos is a homunculus. The hero duels decide to leave, and the one named Famulimus, Famulimus, we'll figure uh, it out, yeah. reveals that her human mask is a mask. And that her evil alien mask underneath the human mask is also a mask. And underneath all of that is a human-like alien visage. She says that they wear the two masks for political reasons. Then the aliens leave, and Baldanders throws the claw into the lake. Severian goes mad wild and starts trying to kill Baldanders. They combat each other, and Baldanders starts throwing parts of his Minecraft castle at Severian, (laughs) eventually swinging outside the walls and entering a lower level. Severian follows. After fighting a bunch of weirdos, Severian is accosted by a floating Baldanders who has a giant electronic mace. They duel, and when the two weapons touch, they explode, destroying Terminus Est. Then Baldanders dives into the lake. Later, Severian looks for the claw, and he finds it shattered on a rock. Amid the fragments, he finds a small black piece that still glows. Severian starts learning about higher states of being by using the claw. Then the book ends, and then there's an appendix. That's it. Yeah. The appendix is now I know what you want to hear about. It's about the provincial administration of the Commonwealth. Remember Thrax? No? Well, I'll remind you. Yeah. Now, there's a guy who lives there. If you remember him and he's got other guys that he's responsible to, but they're also responsible to him. Now, you might think, oh, he's not supposed to have a standing military. My, my, my. Let me tell you, he does keep a standing military. The way he does keep the standing military is by saying that they're huntsmen. That's how he gets around the laws. Now, you might start thinking that laws get made by the autarch. They don't get made by the autarch. They get made by him. And the people who are there are Mm. able to follow the laws, but under penalty of death, not anything else, because the autarch would decide that. It's wild. It just keeps going and going. Gene is having a grand time. <laughs> I love like, it. Like all it's the great. other appendices are so full of real shit. Yeah. And this one and this has nothing. This one is like, do you remember that? That Do you remember the husband of the woman who was briefly in the book? The husband wasn't in the book. He was just mentioned. Anyway, yeah. here's what his deal sort of is abstractly. Anyway. <laughs> this is why he mattered. Yeah. Like a lot, actually. <laughs> This is real. You've picked up the source book to run the Book of the New Sun tabletop campaign. Mm, And you're like, well, my players are going to ask me what the deal is with the Archons. So I need to understand, like, how to play an Archon. Like, does the Archon, who makes the laws? Mm -hmm. Yeah, does he have to talk to the Artok? Right, right. Exactly. The answer is no. DM Fiat. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want. uh, This is the classic Harold Innes um uh empire of space instead of empire of time in which over long distances you 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 kind of uh defer the central authority figure goes like yeah you figure it out over there and uh just you know do the gist of what i would do and if it's mm-hmm. really important i guess we can talk about mm-hmm. it yeah but, you got it but you got it basically you got this i'll give you, you the high the level one sheet 
And then you figure out what you got to do locally based on that. Well, I'll give you That's some right. principles, some pillars. Well, once a year, you get the autox white paper he writes. <laughs> exactly. It's like a 17-page some doctrinal summary. Yes. You just figure out how to implement, uh, and you're like, oh, my God, there's no – again, the autarch has sent me a, a white paper with no implementation guidelines. <laughs> God, I wish I had a lictor. <laughs> To help do it's, some of this it, shit. It speaks as if I have a lictor. For 13 pages of the 17 pages, it mentions defer to your lictor. I don't have a lictor. The lictor hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> we got to write about the lictor. Uh, sir, we wrote about the lictor two years ago. Write about the lictor again. <laughs> we need a lictor. It's incredible. Anyway. God, he better have a sword. <laughs> Not anymore. The sword of he the doesn't lictor have a sword anymore. Broken. That's one of the coolest things in maybe all of book. Yeah. Not I, this book, but book period. But book, yeah. Yeah. The way it breaks, you mean. Yeah, it blows yeah, yeah. up with, a, with a lightsaber mace. Yeah, in this yeah. Dark Souls fight, <laughs> in this. Bolt yeah, Anders oh. lightning damage mace, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the Tenitris from uh, from uh, uh, Bloodborne. It literally is just <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's great. Well, well the, yes, the, this Dark Souls boss that's literally, it's just like, he's so big, and yet he's so agile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, he's able to tween between frames and then switch to other attacks. God. And then I love it. Severian's like, well, I just had to dodge a lot because he would smash me with his mace and all it would take is one hit. Uh-huh. So I just got to keep moving. So good. Yeah. It's real video game times. Mm-hmm. It does make you think. Did Miyazaki read these books? Like there's pieces in here that make you be like, ah, it's so close. Yeah. Yeah, I get the I who could say. Yeah. It, but there are. There really are. We just need a poison swamp. Um <laughs> which I guess we kind of got a little bit in the dead swamp in the first book, but like mm-hmm. we need a real poison swamp. I don't think we get we don't get one, right, Michael? There's no poison um, straight poison swamp. I can't remember. There you would think that there's a dead marshes here, yeah. right? It oh. would make sense, yeah. but I don't think we get one. I don't think we do. No. Yeah, shame. I think that's kind of how the mountains function here, right? Know, like, sure, that's our big like scary shits happening. Yeah, in this place. Yeah, and a lot of scary stuff did happen. You want to talk about Typhon? The where our reading for this thing begins with Typhon showing up. You know, it's like right in our face. That's why I, I specifically split the reading here so that we could, you know, start powerfully with Typhon. Right. It was a cool, just a like a, an interesting character. Not a cool guy. He's a bad guy, but a ve- like a wonderfully direct character in a in books that are not full of wonderfully direct characters. Mm-hmm. I, that was also uh, yeah. when I first read these books. My feeling when I got to those chapters was like, well, that was like the most straightforward th- these books have ever been. Yeah. Well, because he's just like because he has power he doesn't need to be coy about or because he sees himself as being so powerful Mm -hmm. he's just gonna speak the thing he believes to be true i used to be an altark i'm gonna be again uh looking out over the the world it looks like it's all messed up i'm gonna fix it give me the claw yeah i'm gonna use it he doesn't ask for it he asks to for does he ask for Severian to swear on it or something, or does he ask for it? I don't quite remember. He wants it initially, right? And then he then he kind of wants to see it, right? Um, well, and we get a, a lot from both him and then later's Baldanders. There's a little bit of like, well, that's nothing compared to real power, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is really setting up some of the Bible camp turn that feels like it's coming. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, right. Like it's you know, Baldanders says it's a. Uh, 
uh, like a monument to faith or something, you he know, right. he's yeah. like, or superstition. Yes, he, yeah, he, he doesn't want it. He wants to throw it away because yeah. he doesn't want a monument to superstition in his laboratory is what he says. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, uh, the, I mean, the other thing that is like, that happens twice in this series of, of uh, chapters is Severian gets manhandled by a big guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. He describes Typhon uh, as uh, making him struggle the way a, a puppy struggles in the arms of a strong man <laughs> as he tries to fight him or like push past mm-hmm. him or whatever. Um, yeah. But then going back to the like the the you know, is it the power of space Jesus that saves Severian in this case? It super isn't. He wins this fight, which, which it's not even a fight. It's not even a fight. He, he, you know, recognizes a weakness in Typhon's situation, which as you said, Typhon has, Typhon basically says, listen, it, when I was alive, I wanted to keep being alive, obviously, um, which is something that Severian will say later also, right? Severian says mm-hmm. later that, that uh, when he fears he's lost the claw, uh, that he wanted to to just like walk into the sea. Um, uh, that he decided he would take his own life if he uh, if he truly had lost the claw into the into the lake. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and he emphasizes like, and I love living. I'm like the number one guy who loves living on this planet. <laughs> yeah. But Typhon seems to have been that because what he says is, we when I started dying, I looked into ways to not be dead, and the the big ways. Uh, we're messed up because it meant I lose my face. And that's a problem yeah. because my face is where my authority lies. Yeah. Which rules. It does rule. It and, rules so much. And so I put my head on this guy who's one of my slaves and uh, he breathes for me now. And eventually we'll get rid of that that guy. And of course, Severian zeroes in on he breathes for me now. And mm-hmm. so when it comes time to kill Typhon, Instead of swinging for Typhon, he swings for this guy's face and kills him instantly, and therefore kills Typhon, who defended his own face instead of defending Pyotons, which is the face he needs to breathe. Which, this is some, like, high school English, can you unpack the the symbolism of this sequence type stuff, but it's great. Right. Yeah. Typhon only rules based on the, you know, the people power that yeah. he's able to suborn. Yep. And you can't even defend it. I mean, that's that's how he got deposed originally, like all the way back when he tells the story. Right. Like yep. we, there was civil unrest. He, he could not do the thing to like, you know, quell the horror that the sun was going out, which which didn't happen over thousands of years. It happened like very quickly. Right. It happened uh, faster than his scientists had predicted. Right. Yeah. They, they they said, hey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, but don't worry about it. It's going to be really uh, – one human lifetime won't notice. We won't notice. And then that was just wrong. Uh, we did notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all the crops started failing. Yeah, I love that he – like the whole kind of setup there where he's like appears immediately and then the kind of he, – because he's only around for two chapters, right? Mm-hmm. I mean it's such a, a blip, but he comes in and it is set up like he is going to be – the problem for the next two books, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh-huh. Severian navigating this guy is going to take like hundreds of pages, you know, of like how does Severian serve and not serve or whatever, right? Yeah. But Severian cuts through all of that. And there's some really great moments to that too, where, you know, uh, when, when Typhon's trying to get him to kind of swear fealty to him, Severian immediately is like, he's treating this like nothing, but this is an oath. 
Right. And like, I don't know. And I and he, and he tells him, he's like, look, I'm an oath breaker, man. Like, I, <laughs> you can't trust me. He's like, doesn't matter if you're an oath breaker or not. Taking it's the only thing that matters. And Severian's like, huh. Um, I also love that maybe there's a little bit of distrust on Severian's part of Typhon because Typhon says, look, you know, I needed to keep my face. So they stuck my head on this guy on Python, my strongest slave, you know, so we get a we get a picture mm-hmm. of like, what was the autark like way back, right? And, mm-hmm. and slavery is a part of that, um, you know, similar to the current autarky, right? And the well of orchids and all those things, whether those are salient or not, it's a big question, right, Mark, right. but but uh, but so he does all that, and he's like, "Well, you know, uh, mostly it was a time issue. I just didn't live enough in this body, yeah, you know. And now, eventually, I'll do it." And he says, "And then, you know, we'll just cut Python's head off, and then uh, it'll be easily covered by a shirt." Yes. <laughs> and you know, Severian was like, "My God, what this an immoral got, act! This guy's got to go. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to go. He can't be wearing a shirt." Well, he also, and we can kind of move past this quickly, but while he's talking about his the period of great confusion and mm-hmm. the riots and whatnot, this is where he indicates, oh, uh, the conciliator was a pain in my ass. And he's yeah. from the conciliator's age, which is sort of the like lore drop we get here is a little bit more about who the conciliator is. And I mean, not even who he is, but the context of conciliation suddenly it's interesting, right? Because it's really grounded in a material way here. People are suffering. The sun is mm-hmm. dying. People have not moved on to the what we now know is the current setup for the world. And so no one has adjusted expectations about what crops are going to be, for instance, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so he comes to being in the middle of all that and just generally seems to be someone who makes the altar <laughs> look like a chump. It's basically yeah, my yeah. read. And starts making like, you know, at the same time that this is happening, Earth is going from being, you know, the the hub, you right, know, the centerpiece right. of this whatever, at least uh, uh, solar system empire, maybe more. We don't really know, right? Typhon but, but talks about it of, as if it's like intergalactic, right? Yeah. He yeah, says that yeah. he could have put his seat on any planet in his empire, but he chose right. Earth specifically because it was the old home. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. And so, you know, he says, you know, and he's like, and the conciliator starts making a bunch of trouble for me. And then at the same moment, everyone's like, uh oh, Earth's mm-hmm. on the way out. We're gone. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so everyone starts fleeing, which also re, you know, doesn't maybe recontextualize, I guess is the wrong word, but gives us more information about like Jonas and Hathor, right? right? Like mm-hmm. they're from that time or, right. or the things that they are involved in began fleeing. You know, right? They're many, either many, from many that thousands t- of years ago. They're either from that time, or they're from the time of you know the era after that, which helps contextualize when Jonas was like, "Oh, I'm on Earth. Like this is Earth. That remember when we left Earth because it was all falling apart. Cool. I'm on Earth. Great. I got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, the other another thing uh, that he does is during the uh, the bit where he's trying to get Severian to swear fealty, he's like, "Listen." You can go be the Altark here. Go, you want you <laughs> right. like Nessus? I see yeah. you looking at Nessus, buddy. Go put your new citadel down in Nessus or your your palace in Nessus, and you can rule from there. Then send me all of the women and, and children, all the all the the girls and boys, and mm-hmm. I'll uh, and and I'll, and that's all I need from you. You know, you rule the way you want to rule. I don't care. Um, which at that point I was like, I had the thought that you had, which was like, oh, is this the rest of? I think it's Michael. This is you. The this is the rest of this book is going to be him. Is this how he becomes Altark? Is really what I thought. It was like, oh, right. this is the weird back around way, the end around way that he becomes Altark. And again, this connects to the story of the the tale of the student or whatever. What is the actual name of that story? 
the tale of the student and his son. Student and his son, right? The yeah. corn maidens. I was like, oh, well, yeah. he's gonna he's gonna corn maiden maiden him. I get it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, and and then it doesn't happen because he smashes Pieton's nose in and yeah. trips him down to the, the ground, which is an incredible. Uh, was it is it the end of that chapter when he kills yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Great. He line. just kicks him off the right. edge of the thing, and he yeah. falls like ten billion feet. <laughs> right. No, that's like the final line of the chapter. Is like he takes a moment to like let the body fall, and then he like looks at it, and then kicks him over the edge into the abyss. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You think Gene was watching Looney Tunes when he was working on this book? This is the second time in this book that something does like a like a wily e. coyote <laughs> like off the edge of the map thing. I think that Gene has met a hero duel, and that hero duel brought him back. Uh, let the bodies hit the floor, uh, <laughs> and he was just jamming to it while typing. That's right. Uh, I guess it's also worth just like pointing out that yeah. uh, Typhon's entire deal with Severian, like that whole conversation is uh, modeled on uh, the devil's temptation of Christ in the desert. Right. The oh, yes. right. This makes, makes perfect sense, sense to me. Yeah. Right. Well, Speaking- because Typhon, right. Like if we're being reductive about the whole thing, right. Typhon's relationship to the conciliator is directly, you know, the, the kind of Roman leadership's relationship to, uh, to Jesus. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Very flatly. That that is what that. Right. You know, I mean, this that, is the this, and again, like it's it's played with, it's twisted just a little bit, right? Or it's, you know, Jesus is often inside of Christian circles talked about in the way of like it was a time of chaos, and Jesus was someone who was coming to bring order, which is not exactly true um, in the in history because. History is a time of chaos. It turns out, my friends, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> right. and and but but it, it, it was a real print the myth, but about our space Jesus in this case, and just right. run with it and run with every version thereof, uh, and kind of amalgamate them into into this new thing. Uh, and and also, we don't necessarily get that Typhon was doing that with the conciliator at the time, right? We only get it with Severian, or do right. we get more about? about Typhon and the conciliator at the time. I'm trying to remember if there was any other specific, my notes don't have. Uh, no, it's just like, man, that guy was really a pain in my ass That's, anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, he's like a wonder worker arose as types often do. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but like the, the three offers are sort of like weird offer coercive things that he does with Severian. Like thing number one, I'll give you food. If you either right. give me the, the claw or let me look at it or whatever. Uh, the second one is, uh, he dangles Severian over the abyss, whereas in in the Bible, uh, uh, Satan had like tells Jesus to jump and then have angels carry him up. Right. Uh, huh. And then the third one is like promising him all the kingdoms of the earth, like the you'll be the autark mm-hmm. and, ne- and Nessus, and you won't have to deal with me except to send me all the the maidens and the boys. Right. Hey, Michael, remind me: Does uh, Jesus punch Satan's nose in at the end of the story or nah? No. So- <laughs> And so that is where we can begin to see some of the core differences <laughs> between the Bible and the book of the new son. What I love so much about that moment, other than, you know, just the uh, deflationary moment, you know, it's a, it's a, that's a word we've used many times in many different contexts, but truly, right, we are building so much here and then he just like socks him in the face and he's dead, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I love that it's dependent on Severian's training. Mm-hmm. Right. It's only because he's a torturer that he can do it. 
Right. And that he recognizes like, oh, if you do this thing to these people, you know, it's the same thing as like the the excruciators eyeballs or whatever he's going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you remember that, the thing he was going to do to the the person in the tunnel, you know, Mm. in order to impress Dorcas. Uh, (laughs) It's it's another one of those moments. Right. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, this is a thing I learned how to do Mm -hmm. when I was 11. You know, how to punch people's noses (laughs) to do a uh, um, gosh, what's his name from Firestarter? Uh, which one? Oh, oh, uh, you're talking about John Rainbird? Yeah, because that's yeah. what John Rainbird's going to do to the kid. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. It's this exact thing. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it's like, wow, the 80s was like a time. It was a moment of like, you can punch anyone's nose into their brain. <laughs> Uh, there's something else here, too, that's, I think, important, right, is like that story in at least some of the Gospels ends with like Jesus like, no, I don't want your stupid kingdoms of earth. And then some angels come down to like, hey, man, nice work. <laughs> <to Jesus." laughs> you know, like, I don't remember if they bring food or what, but like, you know, they're going to come down to like big talk Jesus at the end yeah, of the yeah, apocryphal yeah. Jesus story. Is hanging out inside of out in the desert and it goes bad. Yeah. And so then some angels come down. Or, I mean, it goes good, right? It goes bad yeah, in the sense yeah, that yeah. he's like been starving in the desert and being tempted by Satan. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so and so, you know, uh, uh, they come down to be like, hey, man, keep it up. You're doing a good job down, <laughs> down here. And I think an important thing here is like that doesn't happen for Severian. Severian mm-hmm. doesn't have – Severian does not live in the time of angels uh, except for the claw on his chest in some ways, mm-hmm. right? I mean there are angels. There are angels. That's not true. The hero duels are angels. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, but, there's something. But they don't come down here to help him in this moment. And I kind of think there is something fun about – you know, Severian seems a Christ figure in a time without God. Uh, mm-hmm. and, right. and that I think – hits inside of the genre space that it's playing in, even mm-hmm. if the literal religious, you know, subtext happening isn't particularly my my style, you know? Yeah, Severian doesn't even do a thing that you would expect, that, that earlier Severian, I was going to say expect, but just earlier Severian would have done this. He would have gone down to, like, the, the shore people, you know, that he yeah. meets next, and he would have been like, hey, you see that guy up there? I killed that guy. <laughs> like, you see that big head at the top of that mountain, that of all these mountains with heads yeah. on top? I killed the guy that looks like that one. Isn't that wild? Anyway, feed me. He doesn't even do that, right? He like starts his like weird, you know, history of the world part one scenario where he just starts pretending he's some guy. It's good to be the king. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I guess he was like, well, if Typhon can do it, why can't I? Yeah. If he can just assert. <laughs> right. And that, I, I mean, I do love that, that that ties into all this stuff that we've seen throughout the rest of these books of like, if you assert that you have power and you can back it up a little bit, then you have power, you know, our symbols mm-hmm. make us, but then all the other stuff that he's talked about with the Autark, and then he meets Typhon, who is the living version of that, yeah. right? Someone who just enters the story and begins asserting power, and Wolf does a really good job of making it feel like if Severian had not killed that guy, he would have done it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he would have or not, right? You know, it seems like the Autark and the Hero Duels and the Asians and like the people under the the ocean, you know, Abaya, uh, uh, Erebus, all this stuff. It seems like they have a lot of power, mm-hmm. but Typhon seems so unworried about it. He's so confident, you know, in the one section, he's like, oh, yeah, did you see over there that flash of light? That's an energy weapon. I'm going to go blow that up. <laughs> they revealed <laughs> themselves to me now. Yeah. It's great, you know? Yeah. Huge. Uh, you know, I'm not a Marvel guy. I haven't seen these movies. But this is Thanos to me. <laughs> they just drop I, look, him in. I have seen these movies. Thanos would be way cooler if this was Thanos. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Giant, nude, purple, two heads. Uh, You've revealed yourself to me. 
uh, eating Japanese pancakes. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. But I always think about that scene in um, <laughs> what uh, in the Paul Thomas Anderson movie for oh. the same actor. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Which wait, which which which? Paul wait, Thomas hold Anderson on. Actor, it's the one with Walking Phoenix. Oh, um, is that the master? The master. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he meets the guy who plays uh I'm having such a hard time with names recently. Um the guy who plays Thanos. Josh Brolin. Uh, Josh Brolin. Josh yes. Brolin. Josh Brolin is uh-huh. in The Master for like 5 seconds and he's eating pancakes. And he's eating, and Japanese-, he's eating <laughs> Japanese pancakes and he keeps yelling panakeku uh and screaming it to get more pancakes. <laughs> you and understand why fa- why we were not on board here for Taylor reference here. <laughs> no, you're, you didn't get that? You're, you're, uh, you didn't think... It's been several have, years since I it. watched The Master, and I'm sorry, that that's not the part that stuck with me. I just remember <laughs> walking... the part Fe- that stuck with you? I remember walking Phoenix uh, drinking, like, the rocket fuel to get drunk. <laughs> I don't remember that part. I remember him getting in a fight with those people while he's taking their photograph because he just hates his life and, and job. Nothing more relatable than a man who just blows up his job over and over again. <laughs> It's just you're like ah, oh, that's America for me. But Josh Brolin, two heads, purple, mm-hmm. uh-huh. nude, demanding more Japanese pancakes. That's in my mind what Typhon's all about. Love is it. all I'm saying. And I don't know why you couldn't go down that road with me just as easily as I explained <laughs> you it just know, now. It's clearly not a strong enough film buff. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I'll give you some time. Thanks. You can go back to it. We'll talk about it in the next episode. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't watch it. Not right now. You shouldn't watch it right now, even though the AMPGP has made a deal, made a yep. deal with the WGA. SAG after, not yet. SAG after, not yet. And they're actually the ones who said, please don't talk about movies. So yes. we're still in the interregnum period. Um, Michael, thoughts about Typhon? Ideas about Typhon we haven't covered yet? Uh, one other thing that I would want to just pull to the surface here is note mm-hmm. the kind of... So uh, one of the things that... Uh, is happening throughout these books that we've talked about maybe in, in some ways big and small, but it's going to get, I think, like louder and louder here at the end is the way that Wolf uses uh, parallels in mirroring and kind of transposition and inversion of characters or character types. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about like to what end. So, uh, for instance, uh, Typhon and Piaton, right, being this kind of two headed uh, creature uh, uh, like Typhon grafting himself onto Piaton to uh, sustain his life, to keep his life going. Um, why is it that this is so redolent of Severian, the future Autark, right? We've got uh, Typhon, mm-hmm. past Autark, and now we have Severian, future Autark, who also oh, has a second head, but yeah, his second yeah. head is uh, inside of his first head, right? That's Thecla, and in this case, it is not Severian who has been, uh, his life has not been extended via uh, this process. It's, it's been Thecla, although we can argue that in some ways uh, it has given Severian himself also new life, right? It has allowed right. him, mm-hmm. I think, to engage with the world in ways that he was not capable of engaging with the world before. Well, and then it's bigger than that even, right? Because all of this is also, there's a much later conversation. Um, I believe this is much later where uh, I, I want to say that it is it is um, Baldanders who says, it's either Baldanders or Dr. Talos says, growth has its disadvantages, though for your species, it's the only message, uh, the only method by which youth can be reinstated. Um, yeah. And, and, there is something happening between all of those characters, uh, plus so Baldanders, who we will get there later, but Baldanders is also very old, and Baldanders is also very big because he 
is trying to stay alive. He wants to stay alive indefinitely to continue furthering his, the position that he's in, which we'll talk about later. Um, but them, uh, uh, him being three sizes, the size of a one man, uh, mm-hmm. the Alzabo, uh, just generally both with Thecla, but even inside of the Alzabo with the father and the daughter, mm-hmm. uh, speaking out, uh, Apu Punchow's Vivamancy, um, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, is also about sustaining life in, in a mm-hmm. way of like being in two places at the same time or mm-hmm. going from the past to the future in that case. Mm-hmm. There's and he these, brings his world with him. And he brings too, his world right? with him, like right? He, he is size. He's scale. Absolutely. And, and even, you know, this is not about sustaining um, life in the same way, but the, the dual-headedness of the current Altark, the Androgyne, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. also speaks to that. Or even if you don't want to go that route, you can say the Votalist and Altark, like, dualist, like, oh, they are the dualist with an E and an A. Um, <laughs> they are at one, they are both the Altark in some way, or one is serving the other or in a direction we're not even 100% sure which is which. Yeah. Um, there's all that happening here, and it it you can read them all as competing versions of resurrection or competing responses to escaping the terminal decline of history, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all falling apart. How do we sustain it? Again, Miyazaki's had to have read these books, man. <laughs> it feels like it feels yeah. like it. Uh, but yeah, you have to become and and even I mean that's the weirdness of the the Dark Souls and Miyazaki more broadly kind of fixations, right? Because Book of the New Sun so far has given us the kind of two pathways, which is you can become bigger than yourself, yes. almost like in a pun. You know, the yep. Baldanders is bigger than a man in a pun way, right? <laughs> you know, uh, but you also become bigger than yourself by joining a cause. You know, and right, that's how Severian right. starts out with with Vodalus, and that's also how this ends, right? Like, I mean, the the this book ends with him like looking into eternity and being like, "I wonder if servitude's really cool." It's funny uh, though because he's the traitor servant, right, or the obedient right, yeah. traitor or something, right? And if joining a cause gives you new life, then the best thing to ever do is to betray your cause for a new one constantly, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> so At least that's how he's positioned it so far, yeah. Right, thus far. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll find a true cause that sustains itself indefinitely. That's that's exact right. Exactly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. uh, I unfortunately, what's this the is, highest again, form of government? Exactly. Right. Um. That I think unfortunately that's where we're going. Right. right like right. uh, when all these other mechanisms don't get they don't get there, right. and the reason we know they don't get there, they don't restore the sun. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that's like the true, you know, uh, at the heart of things, you know, you've joined the right resurrection if it resurrects the earth. Right. None of these uh, things have ended history yet. So, yeah. And this is, in fact, the book of the new sun. <laughs> <laughs> it says it right on the book. the book of the guy who just had a good time joining all the, the different, uh, you know, organizations that he could. You, you know, the freshman with too much time on his hands. It's like the beginning you know, of not... Rushmore with all of his extracurriculars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the variant. Yeah. Oh, Wes Anderson's book of the new sun. I want to see it. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I want to see you the, the 2007 it. internet comedy video version there of it. The last two minutes. There, you want to see the funnier die video. I want to see the funnier die video. Yeah, <laughs> from the height of funnier uh-huh. die. I want to. I want to see before that. There's that Wes Anderson God of War video. Do you ever see that? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. That wasn't. That wasn't. Uh, this pre funny or die, a hundred percent pre funny or die, because that's like two thousand six, two thousand seven, and it pisses me off because it's like thirty times better than like SNL's "What If Wes Anderson Directed Blank" uh, series right. that came like a decade later, mm-hmm. um, and it's like stylistically coherent in ways that actually o- evoke Wes Anderson's best instead of just 
the sort of like Wikipedia version of it. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if rebellion and obedience served the same ultimate end? Say more. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a that's a thought that Severian has, you know, talking, uh, uh, you know, sort of bouncing off what Cameron was saying, right? Uh, uh, about, uh, I think it was what Cameron was saying about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ultimately. I bet it was. Yeah, I bet. Uh, <laughs> it was from GamerVision.com, by the way. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Oh, okay. I thought you meant GamerVision.com was saying the thing I was referring to. <laughs> Yeah, that was, it wasn't me. I was just reading. It was from Rebellion and obedience served the same ultimate end. Gamervision.com. Oh, uh, uh, anyway. Where, yeah. right, sorry, but where is Severian? Is this after Typhon? Yeah. Is this while he's walking down the, the old hills? Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, after he's killed Typhon and he has to walk down the mountain because he can't. Uh, Typhon, ha- Typhon can control their like anti-gravity bobsled or whatever it is that they take to the top <laughs> of the mountain. About this, yes. um, and Severian can't do that, so he has to walk all the way down. I love that he's like, and I didn't have the word. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> I wasn't even listening. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so he's ta- he's sort of reflecting on uh, how all this stuff came about. Uh and specifically thinking about little Severian, who he actually thinks about pretty consistently over the next couple of chapters, right? He actually does seem mm-hmm. to miss little Severian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never fully understood how it came to be where we found it, or even whether the strange individual who had called us to him so that he might have that brief period of renewed life had left it behind intentionally or accidentally when the rain dissolved him again to that dust uh, he had been for so long. The ancient sisterhood of priestesses beyond question possesses powers it seldom or never uses, and it is not absurd to suppose that such raising of the dead is among them. Uh, so yeah, he, he's, uh, reflecting on all of that. And then he says, uh, yet, even if that is so, some higher authority may have been served. It is in such fashion. Most sages explain the apparent paradox that though we freely choose to do this or the other commit some crime or by altruism, steal the sacred distinction of the Empyrean, still the increate commands the entirety and is served equally. That is totally by those who would obey and those who would rebel. Right. Um, this so is this, Spinoza, by the it's, way. Well, like, oh, mm, straight mm, up mm, is Spinoza. Mm, 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 no, uh, wait a uh, second. Yeah, we, hold it on. is. It's Leibniz. Read the hold, next. Yeah, hold on. Right, right. Hold on. It's okay. John Calvin. Oh, my uh, fucking God. I mean, I guess eventually. If you say so. No, because the monad is here. If you say so. If you say it's John Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> if, okay, if it's predestined to be John Calvin, I guess it's John Calvin. I can't argue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, in the next section, it's Leibniz because he says that there is because there's the monad, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, but that's also that's that's also Spinoza, too, right? Mm. Like that's that's how Deleuze makes the connection between oh. the two, right? Is they're both monists, right? They're both monists, but Leibniz specifically believes in the that substance is broken down further into the monad, right? That it's not yeah. an unbreakable substance. Yeah, that's also what Spinoza believed. Uh, like th- well, this section the is that I'm forgetting. Yeah, I mean, there's there. I mean, there are um, mechanistic differences between yeah. those things, right? But specifically, Spinoza has a passage about um, where he's talking about kind of uh, the feelings and affects that we have. He says right, very explicitly, right? right uh, just because you're suffering and you're having a bad time, you should actually know that it's all within the you know the kind of power of God. It's all positive contribution. 
Um, he dedicates a whole section of the ethics to that. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but you're right. Like they, it is in conversation with Leibniz, and that's why people read them together. Is they have mm-hmm. roughly the same agreement on. Yeah, this, this whole is thing. this is truly. I studied them both together when I first studied them, and they will right. forever be stitched together. Even though the, of course, the essay question on whatever the exam was was what's the <laughs> difference between them? And I think the yeah. difference is that for Leibniz, the monad is material, and for Spinoza, yeah, it is it is unified and and. Yeah transcendent or something anyway yeah i don't think the world is made of stuff guys out there did you know (laughs) that the world is stuff and and spinoza doesn't have like an explanation of what the stuff is because he doesn't care he doesn't care (laughs) yeah like even a little bit he's too busy he was was mostly dedicating his time to uh hating women that was Uh mostly what spinoza was uh doing Uh. alongside all of that was thinking about like why women couldn't govern themselves Mm -hmm. uh he wasn't really thinking about the material part 17th century uh people should have been better Mm-hmm. That, that, Some you people know, were. So lots of people were. Yeah. They were great. <laughs> he was too busy. Look, Spinoza was sitting there. He was being a heretic. Mm-hmm. You know, getting excommunicated from his own religion, writing wild shit, making eyeglasses for people. <laughs> but the, the just <laughs> sitting there all day getting silicosis. You know, right. from from a huffing glass all day long. Uh, they didn't have glass? PPE back then. Jeez. The thing that we're talking about is that these guys from the 17th century, mm-hmm. one of the big philosophical questions and and the kind of maybe the context for some of that question is like, hey, if the world is material and if we're moving towards some sort of rationalism, what, uh, where, is, where is God in all of this and how do we have an omnipotent God and how do we have a God that X, Y, Z? And this is like I'm super, super reductionist right now. Yeah, uh, but no, that's the, that is the broad But that's the broad. Thing. And the yeah. answer is, it's all God. What if it's mm-hmm. all God? And that means that all things that move, move towards and through and in God. And therefore, God is omnipotent in this particular way. The church does not like this, by the, by the way. <laughs> the church no needs church it to be a, it. No church. Every church is like, it's Spinoza's every, Jewish. Every they don't church. like it either. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're yeah, also yeah, not fair. on board. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's a guy who's making willful decisions. You know, it's some sort of being. Maybe it's not like us, but it's a being. He's a being. Uh, uh, and <laughs> he's a being. Man. He's, a, he's a being. <laughs> Threat neutralized. It's a me. They <laughs> Being create, being create uh, got a little brother. It's like the Luigi, and that's the conciliator. Uh-huh. The min create, please. It's the little one. Um, you've got me at, at we're at the evening tonight. I'm punchy. I've had caffeine. I ate uh-huh. dinner. Uh-huh. Not morning, Austin. Anyway, mm-hmm. and so this is, Severian touched late night. Yeah, exactly. Severian, with that in mind, you're saying, you know. Obedience and rebellion both work towards the increate's vision because they both happen in the world of the increate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, though, though, um, it, you know, there is also a little bit here um, before that that I think is really interesting. In that, there is, I don't know where. Why did I put this note here? This isn't where this note is supposed to be. I don't know. I'm looking at my notes in my book, um, mm-hmm. and there's something. Oh, here it is. It is earlier. It's often said the world is ordered to some plan, whether one formed prior to its creation or one derived during the billion eons of its existence by the inexorable logic of order and growth makes no difference. Then in all things, there must be both the miniature representation of higher glories and the enhanced depiction of smaller matters. So he's like, there's, it's, it's, people realize that when you look at anything, it's fractal, it's holographic, however we want to talk about that, that like you can see the order of the world in all things 
by and you can see the higher order of it and the lower order of it. You can see the way the big picture stuff is shaped, or you can see the the way that you know the little the little logics of everyday life appear uh, again and again. And the thing mm-hmm. that I really love about this is whether that logic, whether that plan is formed prior to the universe's creation. Or if it was derived during the billions of eons of its existence by the inexorable logic of order and growth. And it's like, it doesn't matter to Severian or to the people that Severian is gesturing at whether there was a, the increate may have been created by logic itself, by the logic, Mm -hmm. by the the thing that Mm. is actually first, which is the inexorable logic of order and growth. Some sort of logos. Right, (laughs) exactly. That logos is first, or that logos may be, God may be first, or logos may be first, but if logos happens, God follows. Mm. Right? If if uh, if the increate didn't exist, we'd have to invent him. But and that's the thing is because it's logic's not, real. It's not that we have. Because the first time I wrote the note, I wrote. I mean, my literal note for it was God made us, or we made God, and I had to rewrite it as or God was made along the way. Because yeah. it's not necessarily by us; it's by the inexorable logic of order and growth, which he is now suggesting is primary. And, and well, you can feel. You know, this is something we talked about last time. Um, We've actually talked about it in the past couple episodes, right? You can feel Gene's like scientific Christianity, his engineering background, right? Right, like Mm -hmm. you know, he really thinks of it, and you can feel where like the Lamarckism, creationism, Mm -hmm. you know, belief in a historical Jesus stuff is like really suffused into the plot here. Because I think you're exactly right, and as far as Severian is writing here, right, it doesn't matter where these things come from. One must necessitate the other. If you can be rational. Then that means there must be something that pr- that is provocative toward irrationalism, and you're going to get to God eventually. That, and look, you know, you're you're evoking 16th, 17th, 18th century, right? Mm-hmm. A bunch of people independently come to this, you know, yeah. from the the Christian traditions, and also too going back a thousand years. Um, you know, uh, lots of people within Islam have come to a very similar position. Sure. Right. Arguably, the people in Europe just ripped it off of people <laughs> who were translating it up through. Um, up through Spain, right? right you know, right. Um, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the uh, uh, the Islamic philosopher Avicenna, uh, Ibn Sina, but but who we anglicized into Avicenna, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's inventing part of this version of rationality that everyone, all the Germans start, you know. Being Would you in believe with. the philosophy program at Hofstra University they didn't teach me that guy? Oh, they, they, they didn't you didn't do it? it? Oh man, no. yeah, no, yeah, white guys mostly. Uh, mostly. Yeah. I mean, he was Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Well, they should taught me him. Mm-hmm. He was. Yeah. Yeah. He, they should have. He was cool. <laughs> he like invented astronomy and shit. Damn. Um. Yeah. He's a cool dude. I mean, I don't know, but like personally, okay, if he was slow cool down, dude, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. As far as he invented stuff, he invented a lot of cool stuff. I would say. Oh, maybe he wasn't from Spain. Maybe I just believe that. I don't think he was. Look Damn. at it now. Yeah. I don't know much about his like historical thing. I just know the stuff. But yeah, he he's doing the damn thing. It's worth going back and and doing it. How do you spell uh, his name? Out. Putting it in the thing for you. Oh, you did. Yeah, he's Persian apparently. Shout outs. Yeah, but they had to like uh, Europeanize his. Oh, his yeah, name. they sure did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Avincena yeah. is what they went with. They went with they went with us doing bad Mario accent. That's right. Basically, uh, uh, sorry, a yeah. bad Italian accent. It's not no. It's, I Mar- mean, let's be weird. Let's be weird. It's bad Mario accent. Uh, That's more accurate than uh, than thing. But yeah, he was just you know hanging out in Iran. 
I, I don't know for some reason. Maybe his his thought proceeded through Spain, and that's why I sure, got sure. that in my head. But yeah, medieval dude, basically like inventing all the ideas of me- medieval philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Uh, what's this got to do with John Calvin, Michael? We we have yeah we stepped on gone the Calvin. other route here, but it sounds like uh, John Calvin's involved. Oh yeah, I you you made the joke about predestination, and that's the joke, right? The, the mm-hmm, one of sure. the things that Calvin talks about. So uh, coming from a slightly different angle here, uh, you know, John Calvin, a Protestant uh, theologian, uh, very much not in in sort of the same wheelhouse as a lot of the Catholicism (laughs) we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that Calvin talks about in in the same time period as well, right, 16th and uh, Calvinism goes into the 17th centuries. One of the ways that uh, Calvinism understands the world is through uh, the the idea that God being omnipotent and omniscient uh, would, well, this is theodicy, right? The problem of evil. Mm-hmm. If God is omnipotent and omniscient and right. omnibenevolent, right? All good. Then why is there evil? Uh, and how is it that there is evil in the world uh, if God is good and in control of everything? Well, the argument that Calvin uh works out and it's not just calvinism that does this right i think uh, there are various versions of christianity that are going to have some flavor of this uh but the thing that calvin sticks with me because the way he talks about it is that um uh like some sort of self-ruler right god institutes the laws of the world and also violates those laws as he sees fit uh and he will do that in order to uphold the rules that he has already established. So God will allow bad things to happen in order to prove a good point. Right. Um, right. Like every, every work of evil is in fact, God's left hand, uh, mm-hmm. pushing people to do better, whether or not like eat, you know, Satan wants nothing more than to make mankind fall forever. But wouldn't you know it that, uh, after Satan's first temptation in Eden, uh, God got around Satan. He, he came up with a plan that so many centuries later, there was going to be a Messiah who was going to conciliate things. Mm. And Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, Satan, who thought that he had won, actually lost even harder because now (laughs) everyone has the ability to get saved. I love it when evil defeats itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, The principle of non-contradiction is like a hell of a drug. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's really what all these are wrestling with. Right. Uh It's like, you know, how do you how do you get it to two things in the world that are non non compatible right mm-hmm. it's like well we got this aristotle guy who told us that had to be the case so now we got to like work backwards and do <laughs> somersaults and backflips to figure out how all this shit works yeah uh, and lo and behold it's it's because uh god is like you know a batman villain or, you know or ozymandias <laughs> and he fucking won 30 billion years ago uh-huh. uh so you know woohoo but you know i guess it's compelling theology you know like if you're looking for answers that's a really good set of answers and obviously calvinism was actually very compelling for people so <laughs> to this day i think heraclitus should have come come back around and just beat the brakes off aristotle <laughs> and been like no yeah you could have an up and a down same time it's not a big deal you can't control for it It just happens it just happens you know sometimes stuff is the same thing it is and sometimes it's also the other thing it isn't yeah we just built society around that and seen where we went yeah heraclitus had the uh uh like that like an unreal engine imagination of the world (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) where he was like it's just a bunch of dots you know or it's actually the uh, if you've ever seen those images of the uh Sega Saturn version of Tomb Raider, 
Which, no, uh, be- because the Sega Saturn could not render like 3D objects very well, uh, Tomb Raider on the Sega Saturn is just a bunch of two of two dimensional objects that are all spaced at different distances what? from the camera. <laughs> and so, like, people have used emulators and stuff to like tilt the camera, and you can see that it's all just 2D planes that are like facing the camera in particular ways. That was basically Heraclitus's view of the world, and that's way better than what we have. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff Heraclitus gets. People should go read. I bet just go read the Heraclitus wiki page. I bet you have yeah, a good time. Yeah, there's not a lot. It's just fragments. You yeah, know? yeah, we, we don't, don't have, have like a full stuff. work. Empedocles, yeah. too. Empedocles had some like Lovecraftian mythos creatures at the heart of his cosmology, let me tell you. Anyway, <laughs> now I'm just flashing back to Underground. I'm just having this all just, my... This should just be the show. Yeah, we should just, do, just, a, we should just do a whole thing of the pre-Socratics. Yeah, people in history. Yeah, just in general. And the things we kind of remember what they, <laughs> yeah. they said. Was he in Spain? He was in Spain, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm looking. He's not in Spain at all. Uh, He's a dude who lived exclusively in Iran. <laughs> and I've just made that part up. But okay, maybe it's because he went, you know, his thought went that way. Oh, yeah. For a conversation yeah. like this, you used to have to go to dinner parties. And someone who minored <laughs> in something used to be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I took classes on that 20 years oh. ago and half remember it. I'm yeah. going to state it now as if I definitely recall. Yeah. Now you listen to us all do do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's us reading Gene Wolfe. Yes. Who probably also kind of half-ass remembers it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we should keep doing the podcast. We're only an hour in. We have so much to do. <laughs> we do have a lot more to talk about. We can talk about next the uh, Pia, which, who I didn't really mention yeah. in my uh, summary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so uh, he gets down to gets gets off the mountain, as it were. And uh, not as it were, literally gets off the mountain and uh, comes to like these uh, shore people. What ended up being called the shore people. He is on the shore of Lake Diaturna, which he finds out. And we've known about that before. And probably as soon as you hear Lake Diaturna, you should be thinking, oh, Dr. Talos and Baldanders live here. Um, But he goes in there and he learns a little bit about the master of the castle. And he basically finds out that slavery exists here. There are people that live on the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, who kind of live on rafts made of reeds and things like that. There's a little bit of uh, uh, Mexico City, the history of Mexico City here. Mm-hmm. Which it's is also, also Lake Titicaca. Or those not related? I don't know. Like, I mean, Lake Titicaca is in Peru. It's, it's, yeah, oh, okay. it's deep. That's South America. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, are those strategies not the same? Oh, no, I, I don't know the not. Mexico City thing that you're talking about. I think Mexico City is also built like it is built partially on something that used to be a lake. And oh, it floated at damn. one point. Did I make that up? I don't know. Maybe I make that up. I don't Maybe know. I'm confusing. Anyway, point being. Yes. It looks that, like, so, yes. Texaco, Texcoco. The, the the Lake Texcoco had a rock, and that became the the where the capital of the Aztecs began. Oh, began, and they seems. built around it. Kind of. It kind of like Did some yes. uh, uh, terraforming, as it were. Okay. I knew there was something going on there. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so you find out there's this kind of relationship between them and, um, Severian befriends a, an enslaved woman named Pia, who is from the lake people, the people that float around. Yeah. They literally float around on floating islands. Yeah. Like that, that uh, do exist down in this particular, I believe it's in this particular lake somewhere in South America. These, these islands yeah. exist that are like, they're really dense collections of reeds and other like water, living water plants that are that are strong enough to sustain someone stepping on them and walking on them. Yeah. But they're not they're not anchored by earth. They are literally mm-hmm. just plants you can walk on. Or maybe there's mm-hmm. some earth in there, you know what I mean? But they're not mm-hmm. they're not islands in the traditional sense. They're islands mm-hmm. that f- they look like islands but float around like boats. And they uh, they blow around all the time. They kind of can't 
they can kind of control where they go and kind of they don't. Yeah. But they, uh, Severian also learns that there's a castle that's on the other side of the thing. Maybe we can start putting some things together in our head. Mm-hmm. But he gets very doesn't. No, he doesn't. Later, he says he does, though. Later, he was like, I knew that it was Dr. Talos. <laughs> he's so surprised when Dr. He's Talos so shows up. Surprised. <laughs> oh, he's a liar. Uh, we also just, again, really need to reiterate that Severian comes into these people's house. We also skipped a small thing because I think it's important in context. Severian, on the way down, finds like a little hut of like a herdsman or something mm-hmm. and steals some food and, yeah. and drink and then leaves like a cape. He leaves Apu Panchal's cape for payment, <laughs> which is a wild thing to do. I love to leave, to leave John the Baptist's, you know, <laughs> cape or whatever. Yeah. Uh, this relic as uh, which I got through a time travel ritual um, that to the to the herdman. Thanks for the thanks for the water, buddy. Um, and then he shows up. So you know, it's Severian is in a oh wow, yeah, Severian, good guy, Severian, uh, classic meme from two thousand two, good guy, Severian. Then he shows great. up here and says, "They say welcome, Optimate." He goes, "I'm not an Optimate. I'm the Grand Master Severian of the Order <laughs> of the Secrets of Truth and Penitence, commonly called the Guild of Torturers. You, Hetman, will address me as Master. I've had a difficult journey, and if you'll provide me with a good dinner and a tolerable bed." It's not likely I have to trouble you or your people for much else before morning. And then he orders shit that he knows they can't give him. Yeah, he's like, I want yeah. honey. I want he's honey like, and I want- butter. He explains that as like to in the narration. He's like, now this is a real power move, kids. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you really want to get learned. someone on the back foot, you demand something that you know that they can't give you. Mm-hmm. And I want a water slide <laughs> right now. Uh, but I mean, but he's learned from Typhon, right? Like, that's what this is. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's right. I need the most recent storyline of X Men that has completed. Okay. <laughs> I need the Wolverine variant cover. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, this is all just Typhon shit, right? Yes. He, he yes. saw yes. someone do this, and he is just replicating because he's never done this shit before ever. Well, mm-hmm. that's the other thing with Typhon, right? Is that like you can see Typhon not only as the the devil tempting him, but also who he could be. Uh-huh. He could yeah. be that yeah. type of Altark. And he's trying it on here. Yeah. Right? He's trying on what if I were like Typhon? Yeah. And it doesn't go well because he gets his ass kicked immediately. They drug him. They, they put <laughs> him in the like, dark. The great thing about it is, again, feeling like a like a tabletop session. He's like, uh-uh-uh, DM. I know you're going to try to poison me. Pia, the servant girl, who's ser- the slave who is serving me right now, you try the tea. You try the meat. And then the DM is like, oh, yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. And you eat the salad. <laughs> and Severian's like, yeah, 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 I eat the salad. And he's like, <laughs> you ate the salad, didn't you? You eat the mushrooms in the salad? <laughs> and he gets them. He gets high yeah, off those, off those mushrooms. I love the scene that comes after. Because he's like kind of nice to her. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he asks her questions and stuff. And so he gets loaded onto a boat. And they're going to take him across the lake to the castle, to the master of the castle. They've already sent the claw there like ahead of him they mm-hmm. they steal the claw from him they send it and but and there's this wonderful scene where he's like he tells pia he's like look they're going to steal my shit but i i need terminus est like so please try to figure a way you know you know maybe tell him the master of the castle is going to want it cuz i'm going to mention it you know do something and her bid what she does is that she 
takes it in her hands and just runs and jumps in the boat <laughs> at the last minute. She knows they can't turn around and drop her off, and yeah. so they take her. And there's this narrative that spun where, like, the the guy who's, like, the village leader here, uh, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, my wife, like, makes her scrub and beats her the whole time while I'm gone. So she definitely wants to spend time with me. But it's really just that Severian's been nice to her, yeah. and she thinks maybe he can actually get out. You know, she, she thinks that maybe he's, uh, you know, her ticket out. And I guess he is. I mean, it does work out. I have a question about about how some writing goes before that. Sure. Which is while he's doing this eating and he's he's reading, he's taking off his boots and he's reading the book, um, the brown book. He's like flipping mm. through it and he sees Aggie's name in the book, but it's not Aggie. It's the word again, which is again mm-hmm. a doubling, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Um, and then he says the page seemed luminous and not indecipher uh, yet indecipherable, like the reflection of a looking glass seen in a quiet pool, and continues on from there to what I can only, what reads to me like a little fevered dream. He says, um, you know, he goes back to this Agia. So he'd read the sentence, again, she leaped, but read it as Agia, she leaped and twisting around the columns of the carapace. And then returning to that bit of text, he goes, certainly she twisted for, sorry, Agia must indeed have leaped from the thatched roof of Casto's house. Certainly she twisted for she had twisted the execution of Agilis into murder. The great tortoise that in myth is said to support the world and is thus an embodiment of the galaxy without whose swirling order we would be a lonely wanderer in space. It's supposed to have revealed in ancient times the universal rule since lost by which one must always be sure of acting rightly. Its carapace represented the bowl of heaven. It's plaster on the plains of all the worlds. The columns of the carapace would be the armies of the theologamon, theologamon, memnon, terrible and gleaming. Yet I was not sure I'd read any of this. Is he already, is, are the mushrooms hitting at this point and he's just falling into the book or is something no, because, else happening? Because he has not eaten anything the, yet. What is going on, man? I don't know. <laughs> I You're mean, right, I think this is pre-meal. Yeah, this is right before the meal. I don't know. Is he I think tired? Of, I don't know. I just think this is kind of where these books are going. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that feels like cynical and naive in some ways, but that's just where we're going, dude. Like, that's just, we're going to get more of that in a way. Maybe that is, I don't know. Is it's that fun like to read out loud. Because we know that Thecla is a big thinker. Right? Yeah. yeah that's like, those all are Thecla those, thoughts. Yeah. Those, are those Thecla feel thoughts. like Thecla thoughts to me. And, and there is a transformation that is happening in this reading where eventually he says, you know, uh, later on in the thing, he says, in my prior life as Thecla. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she is fully integrated into Severian psyche yeah. at this point. And it's subtle. And so maybe this is that, you know, because she is, uh, you know, she introduces him to the idea of these big philosophical thoughts that he has. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this a couple chapter or, yeah, a couple readings ago. I think it's possible to think about the the kind of philosophical big conceptual stuff that shows up in Shadow and Claw as being Thec- Autark Thecla doing philosophy because mm-hmm. she is the person who does philosophy right? Mm-hmm. in the two of them, right? And then the person who punches people's noses into their head, that's Severian, yeah. right? He's disciplined. <laughs> well, She's disciplined he, in a different way. Here so. is also, I mean, literally the next paragraph is him talking about his fear that his reason and his... Uh, what you know he describes as madness or insanity, mm-hmm. but you maybe you could read that in in other ways might swap right one day mm-hmm. that one day I, he he literally says like 
one day my it's it's not his insanity sorry it's his imagination is what he describes he he mm-hmm. for no discernible cause one day my imagination my reason might reverse their places just as two friends who come every day to the same seats in some public garden might at last decide for novelty's sake to exchange them oh no mm-hmm. me me thinking of myself I am, of course, reason, and my dead girlfriend who lives in the other side of my brain is imagination. What if yep. she took over one day? <laughs> that oh, would yeah. be horrible, he thinks to yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. Except she's thinking it too, because in reality, as Heraclitus <laughs> said, <laughs> yeah. a thing They're might both. also be another thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it's not the coin. It's not the double-sided face right. on the coin. It's not terminus est, right? Like, terminus est is not going to get us there. Right, right. It has to break here. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That is good. Gene's good all stuff. one. Gene's typing. I wonder what Gene, I bet he was long-handed. Oh, you think he was long-handed? He's scribbling. Really? I don't hmm. know. I think so. He's a bit, you know. No, probably not because he was working on the, for with for plant engineering. Right. Layout. Yeah. You know he wrote yeah. some technical manuals he's, on a typewriter. He's doing layout. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Some sort of proto computer. I read in an interview they were putting out like a two hundred page magazine every month. Who? Plant plant engineering. Yeah. Oh. It was like a, a big thing. What was his role on on the on the magazine? He's the editor. He was yeah. the editor. Okay. He's the guy. What, what were you saying, Michael, about talking about it? Oh, uh, it, he talks about it in uh, Castle of the Otter slash Castle yeah. of Days, where he talks about how how long uh, each issue is and how often they put it out. And I don't think he is like the editor. He's like one of like he, he's like a section editor or something, at least at oh, the point that gotcha. he's writing there, because I know he does have a boss. Yeah, well, it could be the publisher. Maybe. I think you're thinking uh, of uh, Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. <laughs> That's right. Did you, did you say my boss, JC? <laughs> my boss, JC Denton. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> Old men running the world. <laughs> Old men writing the world. What do you think Gene Wolf would have thought of Deus Ex? <laughs> I don't know. I, that, uh, you know. You know, one of those things of like, uh, could you get anyone from history, you know, to talk, yeah. uh, to do a, go to a dinner party? Yeah. It's like Elon Musk, Gene Wolf. J.C. Denton, Warren Spector, yeah, uh-huh. Warren Spector. Uh, oh, I, w- Mouse. I would want. Um, <laughs> no, I want. Uh, w- uh, God, Todd Howard. Let's get him oh in there. God. Let's get Todd there. See what his opinions are. See how him and him and Gene talk to each other. Um, but yeah, so all that happens. They get on the boat, and then they start. the The people of the lake start following them, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lo and behold, they don't just blow anywhere. Mm-mm. They're really good at navigating <laughs> the waters, and so they start. Uh, they start following, and they got these explosive. The the shore people in their boats. They got these explosive devices. They're and sick so, because they're, they're Severian cool. is like that's just a stone, and Pete is like, dude, we would not. I would not be freaked out right now if it was just a stone. And he's like, okay, whatever. And then it is not just a stone. It is. It is a device. It is a type of. Of stone that explodes when it hits the water, which the water people live on. <laughs> and, and so it keeps like, going. It, it doesn't it just blow going. up one time. Yes. It blows up and then shoots into the air and falls back into the water and blows up again. It's like one of those flash games where you play like a little truck that has to explode over and over again <laughs> and like bounce up and down. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so he does that in Severian, you know, he does the move. Because he he's this kind of fella, and he hoots and hollers and yells cannonball, <laughs> mm. 
And he's like, you know, I used to practice because uh, his hands are bound. He's like, I used to practice swimming with my hands bound all the time. Me and my weird friends, you know, my, my weird torture buddies. So I'm good. And though, so he just jumps in the water and splat does a big old comedic, you know, uh, uh, like grumpy old men splash, <laughs> you know, 90s comedy splash <laughs> right into it, blows everyone's ass right the hell up. It's good. Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. Pia gets away. Pia and he wind up with the lake people, right? The, the mm-hmm. island lake people. They have sex. He does a long comparison between her and other people he's had sex with. He's like, I've heard that if you have sex with a bunch of people, you can start doing compare contrast, you mm-hmm. know, start drawing some big charts. Let me She's try like it out. Dorcas, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, he, it's a real, like, Safarian, you huge weirdo. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, but uh, so he does that. And then she disappears for eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he like gets this like local army, this militia up of these uh, of these people. And he's like, I want to go get the claw. And they're like, we hate the guys who live over there. Let's kill two birds, with one stone. Let's go storm the castle. And they do. And, they and do. Severian crawl, scrabbles up a wall to like let everybody in. And he goes and knocks on well, the door. What, what well, you've forgotten is that they see oh, the castle and he's like, what the fuck is that castle? <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't look like I anything did. I've ever seen. It looks like a giant toadstool. What's that yeah. thing on top of it? <laughs> I wrote Mushroom Kingdom ass castle. And then yeah. I wrote later, oh, the top part's a UFO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like 1950s yeah, like, style flying saucer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It, it, I mean, I love the the kind of genre. Remember, all the way back, science fantasy, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we've kind of maybe lost sight of that in some ways. And we didn't but mention this, but the book became a horror novel for like seven chapters in a row. Yeah. No, I think we sick. did mention it. All right, good. I'm I, glad we said we those did. words. I, t- today I woke up and thought, we didn't mention that the last <laughs> reading was a horror novel after talking about genre switching nonstop up until this episode. No, but, we did. Okay, we did. We, we definitely, we definitely okay. did. <laughs> But what's so cool about it is like this is a combo of a Conan story and uh, and a sci-fi story, right? Because yeah. it's like, ooh, we got to do like the Conan thing of sneaking in and like doing that stuff. And then there's just a big tower here, you know, and it's got some significance. And at the top, there's something scary. And in a Conan story, that's going to be like, uh, you know, an elephant god or that's going to be, you know, uh, some sort of in the movie, you know, snake cult mm-hmm. here. UFO. With uh, cool anti-gravity ropes attached to it. Yes. But he goes and knocks on the door. Knock, knock, knock. And he's like, hey, I'll send a signal. Hey, everybody here, yeah. wait. He th- he gets he gets cold feet, which I love. Yeah. He's like, oh, fuck. Okay. I have to go. <laughs> I was feeling real good when we were still on the water. And I and he concocted all this stuff. He was like, and it's rainy and it's dark. Mm-hmm. That gives us a little advantage. You know, we'll, we'll need the advantage. But he sees it and is like, oh, all right, um, and you have to know in his heart of hearts when he tells them, I'm going to go in first and I'll send you a signal that it's time to come help me. He is thinking, I'm going I'm to go in, I'm going to get the claw, and I'm out. <laughs> I am going to keep going north. <laughs> he is not going to try to do it. And he doesn't know what's in there, but he comes across as being scared out of his mind, which is fair. Yeah. He sees a UFO on top of a weird tower. So, and he's like super high on like the energy <laughs> yeah. of not yeah. just mushrooms, but like the energy of being a like an army guy, right? right? He's like, it's fucking cool to have a bunch of dudes follow you around with spears. It's neat. I love it. And he's yeah. like, oh, I don't know though about that big that, that big noodle on top. That's, that looks pretty scary. 
Korean War, huh? Yep. Think think yep. maybe a little firsthand feeling of Yeah, I really don't know. Michael, do you know about um Gene actually seeing combat? I do not. I don't either. I don't know if he's ever talked. I mean, I'm sure somewhere he talked about it. Where I will I will read more interviews the, the closer we get to the end of this thing, but because the next book is so dominated by perhaps, you know, unsurprisingly, the war that he's heading to the entirety of this mm-hmm. book. Uh, I'll do some reading in between to cool. like get a sense of, of what it is. But yeah, I mean, certainly the idea of like being part of an army here is really, really powerful. And yeah, I think you're right. I think we're, we're meant to read it as like Severian is making a decision about how much he wants to be a leader, but it doesn't matter because he knocks on the door and Dr. Talos is there and picks up the conversation as if they had, they were just talking to one another. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so good. Well, and immediately he's like, now listen, you're about to meet some cacogens. You're good with that, right? Aliens you are good with aliens. Wait, 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 I want to go back. Yeah, please. He, knocks he uses the knocker on the door yes. right? mm-hmm. there was no response after i had waited for the space of a score of breaths i knocked again i could hear the echoes waked inside an empty reverberation like the throbbing of a heart but there was no sound of voices the hideous faces i had glimpsed in the autark's garden filled my mind and i waited in dread for the noise of a shot though i knew that if the hero duels chose to shoot me and all energy weapons came ultimately from them i would probably never hear it the air was so still, it seemed the atmosphere waited with, with me. Thunder rolled to the east. At last, there were footsteps so quick and light, I could have thought them the steps of a child. A vaguely familiar voice asked, Who's there? What do you want? And I answered, Master Severian of the Order of the Seekers of Truth and Penitence, I come as an arm of the autarch, whose justice is the bread of his subjects. Do you indeed? exclaimed Dr. <laughs> Talos and threw open the gate. For a moment, I could only stare at him. Tell me, what does the autarch want with us? The last time I saw you, you were on your way to the City of Crooked Knives. Did you ever get there? I just love that, that Dr. Talos' oh. bullshit meter is like so perfectly attuned. <laughs> He's like, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> and I know you already, you little goofball. It's so good. Yeah, I just, I had to, that section's so good. But but anyway, sorry, you were talking hero duels or something. I mean, it's the next page, right? Yeah. He's like, uh, he's basically. Oh, yeah, this is the appreciation of diversity in the workplace. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because <laughs> uh, he's like, hey, uh, so the thing is, you guys have, uh, you have like a little necklace. Remember the necklace? Someone took that necklace from me and gave it to you. And uh, I was just checking to see if I could uh, get that back or. Yeah, you don't want what's up. And meanwhile, in the background, there are people screaming, mm-hmm. shouting. The howl of a wolf. The howl of a wolf, right, which which, which we will learn is, of course, the howl of prisoners. And I think even at this point, Severian is like, yes. And in fact, he says, yeah. you have prisoners here? He nodded. Yeah. It's so cool. It's yeah. so cool that it's Severian so hears this, like, horrifying noise. Well, and he, you know, he's flashing back to his own childhood and yes. being like, that's prisoners. That's prisoners. Hey, are you treating your prisoners right? Becomes a really important topic for a Severian in like two seconds. But first, mm-hmm. he's like, you have prisoners here. And Talos says, he, he nodded. Yes, I'm afraid I've been too busy to, pour, to feed the poor creatures today. What with everything? He waved vaguely towards the ship overhead. <laughs> you don't object to meeting cacogens, I hope, Severian. If you want to go in and ask Baldanders for your jewel, I'm afraid you have to. He's in there talking to him. I said I had no objection, though. I am afraid I shuddered inwardly as I said it. 
The doctor smiled, showing above his red beard and the line of the sharp, bright teeth I recalled so well. That's wonderful. You were always a wonderfully unprejudiced person, if I may say so. I suppose your training's taught you to take every being as he comes. And then as he continues, I think like a few pages later, he's like, now listen, remember be on your good behavior. They don't like being called cacogens. Call them whatever names they use. Just say whatever names they use. Don't talk about the slime. <laughs> whatever you do, <laughs> yes. don't refer to the slime. But then Talos is rude as hell about oh, them. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. so rude. <laughs> <laughs> He's like bumping that one dude out of the way to look out the window. Yes. yes. It's good. He uh, calls them creatures or something like four times. He calls them these things in front of them. Because as Severian establishes, Talos has two modes. He's yeah. either doing asides or he's talking to, he, he's either talking to one person or talking to an arena of people, right? Yeah. He's either mm -hmm. doing stage whisper asides or is shouting as if he's, an, a, you know, the MC at an event. And, but people can hear you, man. Yeah, the, the great part about it, too, is that here we find out, and we'll, you know, we'll back this up a little bit, too, but uh, here we find out that Dr. Talos is a homunculus. You mm -hmm. know? Sometimes this gets read as him being like a robot, uh, like I've heard people do. I think uh, well, Alzebub Soup, their call is he's a robot. I, I don't no. know. He's a homunculus. They, you know, that could be a lot of things. Yeah. Well, but I like do like that he's a manufactured person. Yes. And that his person is man his his personality is manufactured. And this is what Baldanders chose. Yeah. Right. Well, he was like, how should this guy act like this asshole? <laughs> well, the specific description is he says he made him like all of the things he wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Right. The Baldanders needed someone to do the things that Baldanders himself. I can't remember the exact framing, the exact phrase of it. Well, um, things he didn't, he couldn't or or wouldn't want to do for him. Because it's right. in the conversation I think you're referring to is the one where he's like, Severian says, well, like, I've seen Dr. Talos beat the hell out of you, yes. Baldanders. Like, why does that happen? Mm -hmm. And Baldanders is like, well, sometimes you need motivation. You know, that's essentially what he says, right? Well, yeah. so I built a thing to make me live. This is, it's what, this is what Talos says. <clears throat> uh, uh. Yeah, he says, uh, but he beats you. He's talking to Baldanders. I said, I have seen him. Once I overheard you, you were conf uh, while you confided in the smaller woman. You destroyed another woman whom you loved, yet you were her slave. And that's what Baldanders says to Severian, right? And then Dr. Right. Tallow says, I must get him up, you see. He must exercise, and it is a part of what I do for him. I'm told that the Autarch, whose health is the happiness of his subjects, has an isochronon in his sleeping chamber, a gift from another Autarch from beyond the edge of the world. Perhaps it is a master of these it is the master of these gentlemen here. I don't know. Anyway, he fears a dagger at his throat and will let no one near him when he sleeps. So this device tells the watches of his night. When dawn comes, it rouses him. How then should he, the master of the commonwealth, permit his sleep to be disturbed by a mere machine? Baldanders created me as his physician, as he told you. Severian, you've known me for some time. Would you say I was much afflicted with the infamous vice of false modesty? <laughs> I managed so, to smile as I shook my head. <laughs> well, then it's the next bit where he says, yeah. he says, I'm not responsible for my virtues. Baldanders made me all that he is not so that I might counterweight his deficiencies. I don't like money, for example. That's an excellent thing for the patient in a personal <laughs> position. 
And I'm loyal to my friends because he is the first of them, which is a really great little twist, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, and I like my friends and he's my friend. So I'm loyal to him. Isn't that good for me to have? But my man, you just said that I'm everything he is not, which means that Bald Danders is not loyal to his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Transit so, property. Yeah. So there's like this fascinating thing. Like, actually, one, I should just bracket this out because this is also one of my favorite, like, small, small things in these books is the Autark's alarm clock. <laughs> Right. It's like, I hear tell the Autark has a mysterious piece of technology. Um, uh, But then also, like, thematically, what's fascinating about what's going on here, right, is that we're getting a resumption of the story of the machines uh, from way back when. Right. Like people put all of their uh, uh, wild imagination or whatever into the machines so they could shut that out. Um, uh, and then this other kind of idea here, and it, it, it resuming something that I've brought up a couple times throughout, throughout the show so far of, um, what is the relationship between artifice and artificer, right? What are the things mm-hmm. that we make and what do those things do to us? Which is also mm-hmm. a resumption of the question of symbols in some ways, right? Like what are the things that we build into the world and, uh, how do those things, uh, affect our behavior or bring certain aspects of us out or like make them manageable, what have you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like just the whole thing coming together here with, uh, Baldanders and Talos is, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite things in all of the books, just kind of like this reveal because they are such different characters and we spend not a whole lot of time with them, but enough time with them in kind of a context where we don't have to, uh, they, they don't have the weight of the entire plot behind them, mm. right? And then suddenly here, it turns out that they are both incredibly important. And right, I'm obviously also on the record of uh, loving the character duo type of like really big, strong guy and then small, soft doctor who talks fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love the reveal in that same thing where uh, because the the shore people have talked about or maybe the lake people one of them are like, yeah, when uh, when they started building that castle, there was like a little guy here yeah. who like told us everything to do. And Severian later on is like, I knew that was Dr. Talos. And Bald Andrews is like, no, that was me. That was me like like 70 years ago. <laughs> I was the small man. Yeah. Yeah. The I used to came be the small man. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I made a small man. Right. Cameron, to your thing on, on is, is Dr. Talos a robot? I definitely read yeah. it the other way, but it is vague. Um, you know, yeah. Severian says, what are you? Yeah. And uh, and he's like, oh, you know, I knew a guy who was human, who was partly human flesh once. And Bald Anders is like, he's a, he's a, he's a homunculus, which yeah. doesn't answer, yes, that's the thing you're thinking of. It could be that he is a, a fleshy aberration, you know, like a, yeah. some sort of. So I think it's meant to be a little vague here. You know, mm-hmm. we don't. Right. We certainly don't get any sort of Jonas style reveal of metal, metal under skeleton, or you know, right. whatever. You know, an and like, you know, if you like cast through the the wolf fandom, right? You you, know, you right, find some right. like robotic kind of stuff. And like I said, I think Alzabo Soup they make the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on that podcast, I like a robot. Uh, I'm not mad at. Him. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't. I don't know if he's a robot. Like I don't. I don't fall down on that. I don't think he's a robot. And the reason why is it makes the fox stuff much more interesting because we know that Baldanders is like a right. flesh crafter, right. right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's making horrors in the basement, right? right. Yeah. Um, and it's so much more interesting to me it, instead of thinking about like the fox stuff is like 
the metal skeleton beneath him or something, well, right? Yeah. The kind of structures his being. Mm-hmm. So much more interesting to think that Dr. Talos is at his core in some ways a literal fox yeah. that's been flesh crafted around into something else. And uh, 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 you mentioned uh, Frankenstein, right? That yeah. there's the yeah. bit where Dr. Talos is like, damn, mad scientist creature? Of course. Uh <laughs> That's uh, uh, one people have read that as Frankenstein. The other thing that I think actually uh, is relevant pulling in there is uh, the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, yeah, um, sure. Right. Because mm-hmm. Wolf has a stated affection for H.G. Wells. Uh, yeah. And that's whole, what you're saying, Cameron. Right. The whole thing is about uh, this guy who wants to do experiments and turn animals into people. Uh, this yeah. is also resuming like zoanthrop stuff. But um, mm-hmm. uh, the thing about Dr. Moreau in the original novel is that he is famous as a vivisector. And so one of the first things we actually see when we come into Baldander's Tower and it's like horrifying that uh, mm-hmm. uh, is the woman who is like under a glass dome who has been vivisected and her organs have been pulled out, but she is still alive. Yeah. Uh, and it's like Clive really Barker re- stuff here. Like, yeah. yeah. It's it's brutal. Oh, please. It's John Irenicus's dungeon from the opening of Baldur's, <laughs> Baldur's Gate, Gate 2. Gate yeah. We uh-huh. all know. Uh-huh. We know what Gene was up to. That's what the, the hero duels brought back all the classics. Right. Well, so so who taught uh, Baldur's, to pivot a little bit here, where would Baldanders have learned to make uh, homunculi and have weird bell jar vivisected living and dead at the same time people and the other strange creatures will come to see? Mm-hmm. Where who would have taught him that? Actually, maybe not who would have taught him. How did he learn to do that? Hopefully not aliens. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> you know, another group of people famous for uh, vivisecting. <laughs> Bad news. It was aliens. Ah, uh, Osapago, a- Barbados, and Femulimus. 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 Yeah. Femulimus. Yeah, there are uh, three hero duels, three tachygens who are hanging out. One's one's little and two are big. Mm-hmm. I love the part of the vibe here that Talos kind of sets up is like, you know, he's trying to do a make good after he freaked out when we did the play last time. <laughs> so, you know, let's just like try to keep it chill. And the idea that he's like, yeah, uh, you can come over. Sorry for jumping down with the big fire torch and... You had to shoot me, you know, <laughs> like all that's just in the past. Like, don't worry about that so much. I love the explanation of why Baldanders did it. Oh, wait. Baldanders explains. He says he uh, he did it because the like, I think he uses the word shame, but something like that. It, it is the sitting and playing the part of being a genius, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Being this like mad scientist and having to play the part of of you know right uh, nod or whatever right. right like this kind of ignorant giant that overwhelmed him and I'm so sorry, he just starts swinging did they not do that yet did who not do that yet are the hero duels on their way to go do that after this unclear because mm-hmm. the hero duels uh-huh when they meet severian yeah <laughs> the thing that they say uh-huh. Which is weird. Liege. And they say liege. They call him their liege. Uh, liege. They say... A word not used in, and clearly not used in Severian's time. Oh, right. Does he not get it? What's the... Uh, he doesn't seem to. I mean, he gets that there's like a degree of of honor that they're showing him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Where's for us, exact... that's the same as them calling him Autark. 
Right, right. For us, it's very clear. Yeah, but he's not reading. He's he's not reacting as if they're like, "My lord, my lord, master," you know, because he would he would be signaling that if he knew if anyway. he knew it at the time. Sorry, but they say other stuff too. Yes, but eventually he gets to talk to one of them alone, and is that which I forget which one uh, that Famulimus. is. Famulimus, 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 the pretty Big one F. who talks in iambic pentameter. Oh really? Oh really? Yes. Yep. She do, speaks. Do it. they all talk in? No. I only kind of, only her. her. Huh. Does she? Huh. Is she the one whose face is different? Because some of them have weird eyes that don't match up with their mask, and then one of them just has like a black spot. Yeah, she's uh, the one who takes off her mask and then takes off the double mask yeah. to show the pretty face. Right. Right. It has that great line about how like the inner mask is just the things that already exist on Earth that you don't like yeah. looking as if to say like, oh, yeah, this is my uncanny valley mask. This is like my corpse yeah. slash creepy bug mask. People just don't uh, like it. But yeah, she's one of the ones whose eyes behind the two masks are bigger than the eye holes. She's yeah. not. Uh, okay. I forget which one. Maybe Barbados is the short one with black eyes. Yeah, there's like two, two of them yeah. have the same basic shape and structure. And then yeah. one of them is like a little she's bit a gray. Oh, <laughs> here we go she again. Has a, she has a voice like uh, music. That's the other thing. Yeah, she right. sings. Yeah, she sings. rather than says. And she explains that this is the last time that they're going to get to meet Severian, signaling mm. that they are going. That the okay. He. I'm just going to read from it here. Uh, yeah. First of all, another another important thing we didn't say exactly clearly is the furthest, most inner thing beyond the second mask, which she swears is the last mask. She's like, I know you've seen Mission Impossible. I promise there's not <laughs> another mask coming um, is the weird, cool, like stone creatures in the moving mm-hmm. statues at the House Absolute. That's what those look like. That's what her mm-hmm. face looks like, except even more alive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh he says, apologies for, I have so much highlighted. This is a mistake on my part. Uh, she says, though you see us, we will not see you more. Our friendship begin, here begins and ends, I fear. Call it a gift of welcome from departing friends. Um, and it's this is where I was like, oh, are they, there will be future times for him to see them and become friends. But this is the last time that they will see him in whatever weird timeline they have going on. And I don't know if that means that they're like time traveling around forward and back, like, Mm -hmm. like Marty McFly, if they're sliding between dimensions, like the sliders did, (laughs) if they are Uh just going going back to front. I don't know. Right. But if it's that last one, then are they then on their way to the performance where they shoot Baldanders? Which comes before this in our linear time. But if they are going from from future to past, would be the next thing that they do. I will say nothing now because I have, in fact, already spoiled this on a different podcast. (laughs) Okay. Well, hard to know, and also informed by many different inflection points, I would say. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Um, we don't, yeah, we don't, I, hard to know from here. Okay. The the other pieces of weird data, right, that don't really comport to this, that, you know, that, that it doesn't create a complete picture, I guess, right, mm-hmm. is uh, Baldinders tells us they live lives like dogs. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So hero dolls live short lives. Yeah. Uh, and so if if they're going backward, you know, back to front, as you said, right, then they wouldn't go all the way back maybe to the beginning of the story. Which right. is a little, little It could weird. be different here. No, it's not different hero duels. Or at least Dr. Talos doesn't think they're different hero duels because he's framing yeah. it as we're, we're yeah. making nice with them after what happened. And so maybe they've just been here that whole time. I don't know. Because they seem to have this right. conversation front, you know, f- mm-hmm. forward in time. They're not talking backwards at Severian or out of yeah. order at Severian. Right. Right. Yeah. You can't take this conversation and, you know, do uh, there, there are different books where you could like take this conversation and yes. flip it and read yes. it backward and it'd be like, oh, my God. I tried doing stuff. that and I was like, no, that doesn't work. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. The the other thing to think about here, too, Bald Anders has lived three human lives. Right. You know, so let's say right. he's 200 years old, something like that. Um, and he's met with them many times. Right. Now, has he met with the same hero duels? I don't know. Dr. Talos does say, like, call them by whatever names they're using now. Right. 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 So are they just meeting different groups? You know, so there there are more questions than answers in this moment of the hero duels. Right. Um, Including the fact of, like, if there is some timeline shenanigans going on, then that might complicate the story they tell about why they don't try to rule the Earth. Right. Right, which we should talk about. I just want to read this exact line about the welcome to Severian just so that we have it on the record for people who are not reading along. Welcome, it's saying. There is no greater joy for us than greeting you, Severian. You bow to us in courtesy, but we to you will bend our knees. And he did briefly kneel, as did both the others. So, very confusing for Severian. What's their deal? What's their deal, like literal deal, with ball danders and with humanity more largely what are they doing i, I love that it's because like i think it's more important than any of the time travel shit. One shit right it's great yep they're inculcating virtue in humanity yeah. is what talos says yeah or wisdom is what he says yeah yeah hmm. yeah they they are in some mechanism working with individuals to create a kind of situation under which other people can get access to wisdom, knowledge, you know, uh, in the, in science fiction stuff, right? It's uplift. It, it is yeah. slowly but surely creating a, a process under which humans will come to the knowledge level of, you know, advanced alien species. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it by giving, by like advising Baldanders to the point where people get pissed off at him and burn his castle down and then loot it. And then they all have like technology that they can figure out. Right. And that might do something to Earth. When, and Bald Andrews hates that shit. <laughs> right. He's a vector for spreading knowledge and technology around yeah. by people getting pissed at him and taking it from him. Um, well, it also changes maybe the way we think about eschatology and Genesis. Right. Right? Sure. Is that also a method of inculcating wisdom in other human beings? It sure was a play that was about an autark who uh, <laughs> tried to extend his time and started some bad stuff happening, it seems. Right. Right. Well, there's another thing here, too, right, which is that they're very particular about how they disseminate this knowledge. They don't tell ball danders, here's how you make a ray gun or a UFO. Uh, and the way he suggests it is that they used to ask him questions there's like a Socratic method thing happening here to guide his thoughts. And then he's, they stop that. And instead, they just kind of, they leave him by saying like, now think about the things we didn't say. 
<laughs> Think yeah. about all the stuff that we didn't bring up in conversation. Because if you do that, you'll get to new new ideas, basically. Um, and so they're very cautious about, or they say they're very cautious about guiding humanity directly, right? About saying, do this thing, or here's a piece of technology, and instead are about doing things in this more indirect way, which I think they explicitly say won't undermine they don't say democracy, right? Uh, they but say they like, don't want to indoctrinate. They yeah. do say that. I love that these guys are just like big weirdos too. Like when Asapago, I think it's Asapago, yeah. When he has the claw in his hand mm-hmm, and he's right. like, well, where did I get it? There, no, he asked the very, he's like, where'd you get the claw? And he's like, well, it came from my backpack, you know, from my fanny pack. And he says, well, that's interesting because uh, that guy handed it to me and now I've got it. So like... <laughs> Chain of custody is a hell of a thing, isn't it? <laughs> you didn't make it. It's not yours. You yeah, got you didn't it the make, same way I you, got is it. Is your name on it? Yeah. It's like Asapago is the dude who like steals your lunch out of the, the, <laughs> the, the you know the break room fridge. Mm-hmm. Is your name on it? Anyone can go to Chipotle. <laughs> I could have gone to Chipotle. How do you know I didn't go? Yeah. Oh, it's your you know order. Oh, you you're the only one who gets who gets barbacoa with beans. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> oh, it's only yeah. It's only Austin's. Sure, bud. Could be anybody's. Um, but could be Asapagos. It could be Asapagos. Austin who? Asapago. That's who. That's right. Uh, they say when 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 the face reveal happens, and Severian is like, "Why would you make yourself look like a monster?" Um, yeah. Uh, they say They're like so democracy. Democracy, so that your folk will hate and fear us all. How long, Severian? If we did not, would common men abide a reign not ours? We would not rob your race of your own rule by sheltering your kind from us. Does your Altark, uh, does not your Altark keep the Phoenix throne? Like, if people knew about sick space aliens, they'd vote us president. <laughs> it's not even that. It's not that. Because it's people not. do You're know right. about sick space aliens. Yes. If people knew how hot we were, yeah. they yes. wouldn't be able to help themselves. <laughs> and you know what? We got to walk an example of that. Severian himself, a man who anytime there's a hot person yep. is like, well, how can I make this work? Yeah. So maybe they're right. <laughs> maybe. You, you think this is like post-Kennedy stuff for Gene Wolfe? Maybe. That's you think this is like the Kennedy-Nixon of. debates on TV? And he was like, it's just too real. <laughs> Nixon wearing a lamprey mask yeah. <laughs> underneath the Nixon mask. <laughs> But just uh, looking at Kennedy and being like, he's too Catholic and hot. Yeah. We couldn't help it. We couldn't help but vote for him. Yeah. And again, during all of this, prisoners, torture, all of which uh, he is not pleased with. Severian, mm-hmm. this is not the way you keep prisoners. There's a way of doing this. And it's not mm-hmm. this. Yeah. He's not a torturer anymore. You know, like that's very clear. You know, he's left that behind. Oh, see, I'm reading this. I was reading this the other way, which is that. As a torturer, as a past torturer, right? There's a there is a there is a a noble way of doing this that the mm-hmm. that the guild did that Doctor Talos has no interest in. I I I think it's connected to that, but I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. Okay. I think it's he's not a torturer, and because he's not a torturer, and even when he was, he had this opinion, right? But like the torturers and and imprisonment generally serves a function. And if it doesn't serve a function, there's no reason to do it at all, right? So I don't even know if it's because, you know, he's committed to the bit or anything. Mm -hmm. It's that if it is not – 
if if torturing and imprisonment are not a theory of like social hierarchy, then they literally don't make any sense to it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we should revisit and, the secret of the guild, which is revealed here. No, nah, we're good. Oh, okay. I think we're fine. Okay, we won't let Let me read this again. thing from uh, Asapago. Okay. No, wait. Family. Yeah, that one. This is Severian. I drew a deep breath. I don't know what you mean, but somehow I feel that though you and your kind are hideous, you are good, and that the Undines are not, even though they are so lovely, as well as so monstrous, that I can scarcely look at them. And this is big F again. Is all the world a war of good and bad? Have you not thought it might be something more? I had not, and I could only <laughs> stare. That seems pretty big. Mm-hmm. Severian's like, oh, shit, it's not just good and bad stuff. It's like all kinds of other things. But we can also talk about the, uh, we can talk about the, the guild thing. Because this is what, what, Master Palamon does uh, a little Yes, this is the yeah. whisper. Whisper. Yeah, he whispers, he tells him early about this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is during, during, all the way back during the, the festival of St. Catherine, the Feast of St. Catherine. Mm-hmm. You got to lop the head off that lady, robot, <laughs> magician, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do some whispering. <laughs> these are, you know, these are the, the things you got to know. And he reveals one of them to us mm-hmm. that he wasn't prepared to. Mm-hmm. I will tell one now, that is to say, one of the secrets of the guild, because what I did that night on Lake Diaturna cannot be understood without understanding it. And the secret is only that we torturers obey. In all the lofty order of the body politic, the pyramid of lives that is immensely taller than any material tower, taller than the bell keep, taller than the wall of Nessus, taller than Mount Typhon, the pyramid that stretches from the autarch on the phoenix throne to the most humble clerk grubbing for the most dishonorable traitor, a creature lower than the lowest beggar. We are the only sound stone. No one truly obeys unless we unless he will do the unthinkable in obedience. No one will do the unthinkable save we. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh that's cool. And the, and the, the the little follow on to that is how could I refuse the increate what I had willingly given the altark when I struck off Catherine's head? Which is to say, mm-hmm. I did the unthinkable, you know, the reason our big ritual is kill this person who shouldn't be killed is because if we're willing to do that, then that shows to the Altark and to God, I will do whatever. I'll do, mm-hmm. I will obey the great and terrible, you know, uh, orders given to me by God. Um, I love that the fantasy here is like, from the president of the earth all the way to Bob Cratchit, <laughs> the chain of B. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It all rests on us. Yep. Um, there is a there is a real um, uh, Elder Scrolls like Dark Brotherhood bullshit thing <laughs> happening here. <laughs> it's a fun. It's a fun thing to have at the center of your torture guild. Obedience. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it and does also, make kind of the rest of the book make a lot more sense. It does, but it is also kind of a, an open secret in some ways. It's just the it's it's the leap that comes with it that I think is the interesting reveal. But obedience has been the story of the day for them since we started the book, right? Mm-hmm. They can only do what yeah. the Altark says or what, what their orders say. They can't go further than that. Uh, you may recall that women are not allowed to be torturers because – 
They won't do exactly, only exactly what the order is, supposedly, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so all that is like in line with this obedience thing, but it's that second jump for me that is, if you won't do the unthinkable, then you're not obedient. Yeah. yeah. And so we, yeah. we remove the possibility of disobedience and therefore we are the, the only thing that's truly obedient in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sort of uh, uh, speaking of uh, parallels, transpositions, inversions, and so on, one of the things that this does is it allows us to see uh, the no, it allows us to see Baldanders and Severian as foils to one another because Baldanders' entire deal, right, getting angry at the uh, Hiradul's uh, during the performance, right, and in his frustrations that he voices with how they've uh, been giving him knowledge, or rather not giving him knowledge, is yeah. this kind of uh, inability to obey, obviously, what the hero duels are trying to put onto him, right? Uh, yeah. He wants more, he thinks he deserves more, he wants it now, he wants it more directly. Sure. Uh, and uh, he he can't stand it, right? He He can't contain himself all the time. Right. Well, yeah, this I is... mean, he's a, a capacious scientist. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He he is doing inhuman things in the in the name of science, and uh, is he wants even more than a human life. Right. What you he know? says, he... what he says is, and this is one of my favorite lines in the books: "I am my own great work, and I am my only great work." Mm-hmm. Everything else pales, right? Nothing else lives up to that. Whatever scientific, which is the. He's Frankenstein and he's the monster, right? Like yeah. Said, right? And again, he is the he is the student and he is the son created by the student in in the Theseus story, right? And yeah. he is the, the creature in the in the waterways. Uh and in this case, going back to the obedience thing, this is also Abraham and Isaac, this is Job, this is classic Bible stuff, right? Mm-hmm. God asks you to do the unthinkable thing or, or asks you to do something that is painful or in which you suffer um, or where you have to do something that seems on its face to be impossibly bad. And in doing it, you've done an act of faith that is, you know, lifts you because you've you've agreed that it is for it is for God and therefore for something that is fundamental. This goes back to what you were saying earlier, Michael, right, about mm-hmm. the, the kind of Calvinist read mm-hmm. on some of this. Right. Not that Abraham is a Calvinist <laughs> right. thing. But. Right, right. But you have to you have to trust that like whatever God's got cooking, it's going right. to work out. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and importantly, right, like this is all just weaved into the text. Right. Like we're not this is not an imposition that we're bringing to the thing. Right. No. Like that is what this is in conversation with very directly. Right. Is a long, very explicitly Christian tradition of an attachment to obligation and, and obedience right. um, and obedience to a conception. Right. Like a, like a notion more mm-hmm. than a, an individual, because that is, you know, for Severian, that's what the autark is for the most part. You know, until you go and meet the guy, uh, you know, it's a notion. Right. You know, mm-hmm. may 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 his farts be our air or whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's this kind of um, abstraction in, in a very real way. Uh, that nevertheless has all this stuff in the same way that, you know, um, obligation in the face of God is this kind of abstraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in the case of Abraham or in the case of Job, you know, sometimes you get spoken to out of the storm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not most of the time when you're being asked to do things, you know, in in the name of the Christian God. It's mostly implication. Right. Or being presented with a problem and coming through it the right way. Right. Or a thing that Severian does a lot, uh, uh, and maybe has already done at this point in this reading, which is like, look at something and say, now, what's this mean? I know this means something. I know there's a symbol here for me to unpack. 
I can't quite unpack it. What is it? There's a lot of that happening. Well, and that's that whole section. That's how uh, the thing that, that Michael just read, right? Like this whole section is the Oannes section, right? So mm-hmm. he, he's looking at this kind of iconography of a lake god, Oannes, right? Right, right, which right, is, right. Yes. Um, like a sea serpent god, which is, is like a real, uh, it's a real god, right? Isn't that true? I mean, probably. I mean, I think even Abaya real is myth- like a real, like, mythological creature in some right. uh, religion sure, or... Sure, Yeah. That makes um, sense. Yeah, I'm looking here. Yeah, that's a Babylonian uh, sea god. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn, it looks cool. I want to see. Send this me, fish hat? Send me some... Send me I am. Guy. Look at this fish hat. Ooh, okay. I see the fish hat. You see yeah. the fish hat. He's like a, like a fish yeah. dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's rad. Popping up. He's going to pop up through the water and eat you. That's what I yeah. read. So, but yeah, so that's what Severian says. He's like, oh, I see this this dude's necklace, and he tells me about Oannes, and like, I can figure it all out from here, right? Yeah. Like, of course there must be religious practices that are associated with, um, you know, a sea creature, and these people, of course, are, care about the sea creature because they live on the lake. And, right. you know, he starts filling in all the stuff that he's just making assumptions about, but you read it, and you go, <laughs> okay. Sure and he says, but behind that, there must be some more true God, right? A you second know, like mask. Right. And that's where the increate is, right? Like, that's the thing. And it's just like, all right, like, <sighs> yeah. okay, Gene, like, yeah. here here we go. Um, yeah. Like, that's, of course, Severian's thoughts, but this is such a particular kind of Christian theological imaginary, right? And right. it is struggling with the this stuff, right? Like, there is a, it was written in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. This is written by someone who who lives in an era where you have to understand that there are this is someone who lives in the era of na- of national geographic right mm-hmm. uh the world is filled with peoples who believe things that are not what you believe and you have to begin to reckon with that right and there are different ways to reckon with it and one common christian way of reckoning with that is uh yeah they're going to hell right uh, and that, that's the dominant form is the yes. mid-80s right this yes. is the moral majority era you right know? so totally so gene's looking very liberal and progressive totally because right. what he's saying is like well underneath their gods is our god yeah right, uh, the mean, right this, or, we, or we have the same or we right. have the same god right right, right. this right. is isan goma uh back right. in yes. the botanic yeah. gardens like kind of ha- like working an angle on the missionaries and the missionaries <laughs> don't really understand what's happening right yeah. but like yeah. that that scene is very clear where isan goma has a bead on some level of reality that is more authentic than those missionaries do yeah yeah and he's like look i hope i hope my god you know, i'm gonna pray to my god for you yep mm-hmm. you know yeah he'll help you out um and yeah but that that's all gets set up to then you know literally present us with space aliens who like have knowledge of of reality <laughs> right but they can be angels or something right like they're angels dressed yeah. as devils so that we won't elect them president mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah there's classic a angel of... problem yeah 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 well that's something uh, right like angels the angels can't just come hang michael right <laughs> if if saint michael or Gabriel, whoever, came down and was just like, hey, guys, that would probably get in the way of the whole free will thing that we got going on. You right, know? right, yeah. They intercede at certain points in time in history, you know? Well, the but one they're guy not does, hanging. I think it's, uh, I can't remember. Maybe it's Asapaga. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like toward the beginning of the conversation. The other tall cacogen in Barbados spoke as a courtier might to fill the silence of an otherwise embarrassing gap in the conversation. His voice was deeper than Fam- Famulimus's and seemed to have something soldiery in it. 
you're welcome here, very welcome, as my dear friend has said, and all of us have tried to indicate, but your own friends must remain outside as long as we are here. You know that, of course. I mention it only as a matter of form. So, like, he knows about the army and everything, yeah, right? Yeah. The third Kakajin, in a tone so deep that one felt rather than heard it, muttered, it doesn't matter, as though he feared I might see the empty slits of his mask turned and made a show of staring out the window, uh, narrow window behind him. Perhaps it doesn't then, Barbados said. Asapago knows best after all. So that, that leads to some of the time stuff that you're you're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. What what's their reality? How are they doing it, right? Because they one of them knows better, yeah. you know, about what it matters that you say to someone or not. You know, they they've got the better kind of middle. And and notably, he's the one who looks different, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's some other kind of guy. Um so I think that's part of it too, right? There's like, it's not just, you know, uh, um, and, and you're not saying this, but but to, to make it clear, it's not like just the hero duels or angels or whatever, no, right? They're, no. they're like mechanisms of reality, right? Mm-hmm. And they are shifting things in ways that we can't really predict at this point, but they got something weird going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, they got to go. Uh, <laughs> you guys want to see them out? You want to climb to the tower and say bye as they zip line up into the top of their around the side of the ufo and onto the top <laughs> in the rain yeah it's not a um uh gosh what's the what's the science fiction film with the big robot from the 50s um where uh, the, the alien comes and gets shot oh oh the day the earth sits still the, yeah the day the earth it's so it's not that you know where like the the ramp comes down out of the bottom Mm-mm. you know and everyone walks out that's the classic image of this kind of spaceship no dice. No. Nah. You're getting an anti-gravity uh like Navy SEAL rope. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they go they upwards go, in a way that makes it seem like they're going downwards. Yeah. And then the ship does the same thing, except it goes up. It doesn't go up or north. It goes away. Where's it go? Does it go west? No, 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 no. It goes away. Oh, is it going it goes in? somewhere where you can't point to where it went? Uh, it just went away. <laughs> yeah, it went somewhere I can't point to. Yeah. So UFOs. does it just recede into nothing uh, or 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 change time periods or whatever? I also love that Family Loomis, uh like waves like yes, that's such yes. a like a, a like a funny thing to do it's to so like good. wave out of your alien spaceship. <laughs> and Severian's like, they thought they were they thought Family Loomis was waving at them. But I knew they, that Family Loomis was waving at me. That's my friend. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's my friend. I'm friends with the, the cool space alien who was so hot. <laughs> Remember when I told you how hot those statues were? Let me touch their face. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll notice uh, when she uh, takes her, her face off, her mask off, she becomes she then. Yeah, you're right. That is that what in happens. In, that's the yeah. moment that the gendering changes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The pronouns change. Yeah. Great. Um, anyway. Uh, for- and then fight then, time, fight time. Well, and this is what this is another thing about uh, the the duels, right? Uh, the fight happens, and also Baldanders has said Severian's going to win. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. they that's they bowed to him. He's going to win, but they do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, which makes you think, right? You know, if if there's some time thing going on here, and if they know things, and you know, there are things that matter and don't. That's one of the conversations that they have, right? Yeah. That. Things, certain things you say might matter and change things. Exactly as you're saying, Michael, they know that by bowing to Severian, that they might be priming what happens when they leave. Mm-hmm. Think about what we didn't say. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They didn't say liege to, to Baldanders. 
Uh, and so, yeah, they have a big old fight. They got, they have like a real fantasy ass, just it classic. Starts, it's such a good, it's so, it kicks off because Baldanders throws the claw over the cliff or over the, the edge of the tower, which yeah. lights it up, yes. signaling the fire. To the, it becomes the signal for the, the lake folks to raid in that yeah. moment. And it pisses Severian off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm going to kill that guy. Yeah. He explicitly is like, now normally... I would have kept kept my cool, but he threw the claw. Great. Yep. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, Baldanders charges him, smashes him up against the uh, like a, like a parapet or something, a wall. Yeah. And, and then Doctor Talos is in there trying to stab him. Yes, with his sword cane. Yes. With his sword cane, Vodalus style. Yes. Got that sword cane. It's back. And he. Uh, and he's Severian always had it. He's always every time he's had the cane, he's secretly been carrying a sword. My dumbass has had the big sword outside. Yes, <laughs> he says to himself. Yeah, even though we know Severian's been using that sword for all, you know, he yeah, uses it yeah. to like as like a, a footstool, if you remember, or like a, like a he ladder. Shaves with it. He does all yeah. sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's been he's been carrying a Swiss Army sword. Mm-hmm. You know, the other one's just a cane. But uh, but yeah, so he like pseudo slays oh, dr know, talos it it does reconfigure some of the um tal uh, talos cutting the heads of the flowers off of <laughs> mm-hmm. right right that's fun anyway uh but yeah so he and he was like oh shit i thought dr talos might have been made of metal but uh he ain't no nope. <laughs> he's soft as hell he's made of <laughs> mushrooms and shit <laughs> um so he like knocks him down and then he like says this you know he's like um uh, he knocks Dr. Talos down. Still, I felt that beneath all his cocksure strutting, Dr. Talos had been weaker than any uh, any of us, except Baldanders would have guessed. I could have slain him easily then, swinging Terminus S so the corner of, the, of her blade would bury itself in his skull. So he doesn't kill Dr. Talos. Yeah, I guess not. I no, thought he just did, like, but no, I guess not. No, he throws the, the sword away. Huh? Yep, so he throws the sword out over the thing. The tip had shattered on the stones when he thrust at me. I flung the broken blade over the parapet as Baldanders had flung the claw and then went down into his tower to kill him. Yeah. Paragraph break. Yeah. Love it. He, then he just goes down, and he's like ready to, uh, to smash through this laboratory. Yeah, we get him going down level by level like... A, a final level of a video game <laughs> really yeah. truly yes yes we get some environmental one, one. storytelling yeah what do you think's going on in uh bald enders bathroom or not bathroom so messed up gene wouldn't even put it on paper yeah you think huge he's got a big toilet, toilet or what huge, huge toilet. you think huge, you think he's got like a squat thing going on or no i think he sits i think he's a throne you know he's got like a double <laughs> wide triple yeah, wide right. you know He's yeah, it has to be mug. triple because he's three dudes. Yeah, it might be quadruple wide. Just extra, just he's like, you know, forward thinking. And yeah, he has he a little press. seat on it that he could take off once he's bigger again. Uh, yeah, so like the, the thing uh, that we're <laughs> getting around to uh, is that the first level that Severian goes through is Baldanders' bedroom. And he finds a gigantic, fully adult, human-sized baby chained to Baldanders's bed, which Severian theorizes was or was going to become Baldanders's catamite, um, which uh-huh. is uh, a, a sex slave. Um, and this is 
a thing that just kind of happens and is mentioned and then we just go on. Uh, well, there uh, is a there is a precedent to this uh-huh. that we skipped past at the beginning of this section of the reading. Uh huh. Right where he's uh, yeah. like talking about little Severian. Yes, and he's like, now listen, I was never gonna have sex with little Severian, comma, which already <laughs> that's not a good way to start a sentence, big Severian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he goes on to say, like, I loved him in a way that's sort of like the way I loved some of the people I've slept with. Mm-hmm. Which is right. not true. That's a different. You you didn't, though. You have to unravel some of these types of love a little bit, Severian. They he has are, not done that. He has not, he has done not that. unraveled that love. He has not done that. Mm-hmm. And so here we are with Baldanders, which, again, it's kind of the Typhon echo, right? That's uh-huh. like mm-hmm. me but bad, right? Yes. Um uh, because, yeah, uh, he basically says he's growing this boy. This is made even weirder by the fact that this is like Snoke's throne room from The Last Jedi. <laughs> yes. It's all it is everything. described identical to Snoke's throne room, <laughs> which is so weird. And Snoke is big. Is Snoke a ball danders? <laughs> he's an exultant for sure. He's definitely an exultant. Yeah. yeah. Grown in a lab, tall, gray, <laughs> beautiful, beyond compare. Yeah. Won't shut the hell up. Yeah, misleading the youth. <laughs> right? Betrayed yeah. by a beautiful boy in black. That's right. <laughs> it's all here. It's Kylo all Ren here. is really the Severian of our age. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Of course. Like like complete goofball. Yeah. Dedicated to something for no reason that uh-huh. is is plot that is discernible in the in the actual thing. Uh <gasps> makes a lots of weird decisions that don't make all that much sense. Mm-hmm. It has an incredibly powerful internal monologue <laughs> and a sword, a big sword. Yeah. yeah. And a big sword that looks way different from other people's. Yes. Everyone's constantly being like, Oh, you got those little nubbins on the side. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. There's some Severian in there. Bald, we, we get, yeah, the, the red, <laughs> sorry, the, uh, it's crimson. It's cerise. It's carmine. Every word for red that starts with C is used. <laughs> here to describe this big bedroom his bed is gigantic and it's in the floor it's yeah. five times as big as a normal bed it's 1971 in bald Andrews's castle yes. yes but yeah so he's got this like giant baby and severian has to be like well maybe he's growing the baby i mean he's growing other people right yeah, yeah. because as the folks from the lake are coming in the things that they're fighting are the various homunculi that are like mm-hmm. failed experiments, the tortured, uh, the tortured subjects. All these people have gone, gotten free and mm-hmm. are described not just as enemies of the lake people, but also of Baldanders. That yeah. they're like, they are free and they are, and, and each other. They're fighting each other. They're fighting everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I really apologize. I really apologize for making video game references nonstop this episode. Uh-huh. But this is the miscreated these are the miscreated from Elden Ring. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You go down to that castle yeah. in the south, and and the miscreated have gotten loose and are like killing the guy who who made them, right, and killing all his yeah. men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, yeah, but this baby though. <laughs> you have more to say about the baby? I was trying to move us no, past the I baby. just, I but I really want to like make it clear that we don't know what to do with it. Right. Because right. the book has no, Severian literally goes, and I don't even know what happened to that baby. <laughs> There's a whole yeah. You might think that you, we, that, that I did something with that giant, scary baby, but I didn't. Was maybe this- he's like, maybe the lake people found him or maybe the shore people found him. I don't know. Anyway, 
Next thing. Was this the baby baby that Dr. Talos <laughs> mentioned way back when? Who knows? Oh my God. It could be. It could right? be. And they started making him big. Baldangers ate that baby. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, Baldangers ate that baby. Well, I don't know. You're doing <laughs> you homunculus stuff. Who could say? Uh, yeah, Maybe so he's preparing this baby for a yeah. feast. I mean, like, the re- more seriously, right? You know, the the thing here is, like, bad guy is a pedophile, yes. right? Like, there's yes. something going on with that. But it's also so extremely weird and vague uh, that I can't even pin that down, to be honest. And, like, I did a little bit of reading around, you know, in the, in the wolfosphere, you know, mm-hmm. in the wolf industrial complex about how people interpret this. And for some reason, some people think this is a clone of Baldanders. Michael, do you have any inkling I, of what that's about? I, I was going to say that I could see that as an alternative reading mm. because it is, it's like mm. Severian does assert, he's like, and this was Baldanders' catamite. Like, he actually right. doesn't know, like, but he is, you know, working off of the evidence of this thing being in the bedroom and change of the bed. Yeah. Um, but uh, we know that Baldanders regenerates, right? We know that Baldanders uh, grows and mm-hmm. like, is it, and we know that his current body that is growing has scars on it. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the other like theories that I like worked up in my spare time was like, oh, is is uh, Baldanders on his way to doing a Typhon, right? Is he like trying right. to like grow yeah. a larger seamless body and then some in some way like transfer his consciousness into that one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the other thing that's happening here is um, we, we talked about Baldanders is getting larger. Uh, I think it's the Undyne who says that he's going to get so big he'll have to come down in the water with us or something. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And we see her stand up and and be like, oh, shit, whoops, I forgot I right. can't do that right. anymore. Right. right. So there's like, and as you said, Cameron, there's something about like bad guy pedophile here um, that is being aligned with a bunch of other thematics where like, you know, Baldander's here in, in like this big reveal is suddenly a kind of allegorical representation of um, secular scientific humanism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is being positioned as something that is going to lead you straight into not if not serving the powers beneath the waves. Right. These big Cthulhu monsters then becoming like them. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, and in the and in the motion, he sees the claw as being uh, superstition. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And so he is science ungrounded by faith. Mm-hmm. And ungrounded by universal law, and once you do mm-hmm. that, oh my yes. God, who knows what what you'll you'll once you don't believe in in universal good and evil, you'll let yourself do anything. These scientists can't be let you know can't can't uh, run free because they'll start doing hideous experiments and treating people as you yeah. know sex slaves and blah blah blah. Like this is well, I find that this I exists. The- people believe this right now in big big oh, yeah. ways. Yeah, and this is a very 80s yeah. and into the 90s, right? Like, think about, like, the uh, Human stopped. Genome Project. Yeah, I was going to say, it's Human Genome Project all the way through right. uh, people now, the sort of Q and Q-adjacent yeah. stuff, right? Right. Uh, Pizzagate uh, stuff and the, you know, mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, you're going to track me with microchips in my blood, right? Yep. That That is all literal, and that sounds like, oh, just like a bunch of word salad of, like, weird <laughs> stuff that's happened, but... We it is very easy to trace the kind of conspiratorial and often faith based thinking going back to the 70s. Right. And like, do clones have a soul? You know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of uh, Christian science thinking that was going on in the 70s and 80s. I, the thing I want to say really quickly is that I, Michael, you said the, uh, the thing of this is kind of a repetition of Typhon. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually very compelling because all of the, um, 
all of the experiments are like things stapled onto other things. Mm-hmm. Like right. they're all people right. parts, right. you know, because there's like a, a a baby's body with like huge limbs. You know oh, what I mean? The anti dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. The anti dwarf, which is like a wild image to come up with, Gene. Uh-huh. But but so I yeah I think that's a pretty compelling thing that this could be a you know a thing to to staple your head onto. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what I said, and I think the last episode is that one of the questions that's becoming very apparent here toward the end of the series is, um, uh, you can change yourself, right? But there are right. good and bad ways of changing yourself, and yeah. what are those ways, right? What is within your mm-hmm. lawful or rightful or natural kind of domain? What sort of changes can you work on yourself, or in you know? It, and are you doing that to yourself or are you doing it to other people? The other the one, something we've kind of glossed over is the way that Baldanders has very uh, sinisterly dominated uh, the lake people and the shore people. Mm-hmm. Uh Right, because he gives the people on the shore technology, and he they in they they uh, build up his castle for him, and then in return he gives them stuff, and then they use that stuff to attack the lake people and uh, take slaves. Uh, but then, as it's a conversation Severian has with Pia, or no, no, it's not Pia. Maybe it's um like the uh like Pia's chief of the water or whatever or something. Yeah, yeah. Where, uh, he he talks about how um he tried to. Someone, him or his grandfather or something, when uh, Baldanders first showed up, tried to have a conversation with the shore people about building the castle. And it was like, Mm -hmm. don't you realize you are putting you are uh, setting up a ruler over yourselves? Uh, And again, so uh, echoes of of Typhon again, right, that Baldanders uh, like suborns these people and then uses his knowledge that he's getting from these alien angels to just make their lives hell. Yeah. Uh, and there's something else here, too, which is like we have the we already put this in conversation with the idea that like Thecla inside of Severian is also dual headed. Um, but it's it's she died first. She did die first. And then she was resurrected inside of Severian. Apu Punchal died and then did Vivermancy to come back for a moment and bring his time with him. These are natural things uh, in comparison somehow to Typhon and Baldanders sustaining their lives indefinitely, not letting the new, not letting themselves die, not letting this era die, not letting the new sun come. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, there seems like there's a line being drawn between the right kind and the wrong kind, not just of change, but of this splitting the self or joining the self with another or coming back mm-hmm. from the dead. Um, again, Abba Manchow is resurrected in that ritual or, or comes back through time does not sustain his life indefinitely, but trusts and has faith in the idea that he will, I mean, reaches, he does reach forward from the past or whatever, but that's a different thing than what Baldanders is doing, which is changing his body, which again, we can put in conversation with the Jalenta stuff and then right. what Talos does to Jalenta and the unnatural stuff happening there, uh, quote unquote, unnatural stuff happening there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, though again, I, it's like, how clear could it be that, that, uh, Jolenta was done dirty by these people, you know, at this point now, um, really thinking about the methods that Dr. Talos used on Jolenta originate here, you know, mm-hmm. or are in, originate here in, if not in time, because this came after, uh, originate here in style, right? Um, or the other way, maybe, maybe she was a test subject in a way that these people all became test subjects too, you mm-hmm. know? I'm finally remembering where I knew Oannis from. And it was not Mesopotamia. Where is it from? 
It's what uh, some cultists call Abe Sapien in the BPRD <laughs> comic BPRD. books. Incredible. <laughs> Great. Just want to give that update. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I came to it. Well, they have a big fight. Yep. In uh, so first video game level is the bedroom, bedroom. the uh-huh. unsolvable bedroom. Uh-huh. The second one is the Misto deck, the yeah. which is pretty cool. It's very cool. It's a well. It's like what it really is is a missed security camera because what it's yeah. doing is revealing what's happening on the lowest level by replicating it in mist. In what I can, you know, this doesn't feel like a like a Dark Souls level. Unfortunately, this feels like a David Cage fight scene yeah. where yeah. <laughs> where yes. Baldander's like pops out through the mist, or all the mist like fills the room, so you can't see where Baldander's is, and you got to hit the QTE to dodge the incoming wall boulder that he's throwing at you. Yeah, so the <laughs> castle has been put together with no mortar; it's just stacked stone. And so Baldanders just starts ripping rocks out of the wall and heaving them at you. Yeah. It's good. What are you going to do about it? Dodge. Not the dodge die. Button. Anyway, yeah. You yeah. and I would die. We're, but we're not Severia. Hide. Hide. Wait it out. You know, rule of three. Uh, turn to, the mist up higher. That's what he actually does. <laughs> yeah. is what he does. <laughs> and hold your breath. Yeah. And that, a great alien isolation level. Yeah, and then oh, yeah. it forces him to throw more stones until he's taken so many stones out that the wall collapses uh, and leaves a big hole in the side, and he jumps away. Yeah, he yeah. like he like Spider Man skitters out across the I wall. Think he does. Yeah. He does first. He Spider Man. He dark ocks it, and then he Hulk like World War Hulk. Yeah, it, where he like he's it says. Um, uh, we scattered as sparrows do when an owl drops among them at twilight. I felt the wind of his blow at my back and turned in time to see him alight, catching himself with his free hand and bounding from it upright as I have watched street acrobats do. He's this giant dude just leaping around, flinging himself around, and he got an anti-gravity belt on. Yes. He so, got a damn so go- belt. So he disappears, essentially, and then Severian goes down to the bottom level. Yeah. To where all these, you know, abominations are fighting with with his buddies from the lake people. Yeah. And he starts doing that fight. And in the middle of that, anti-gravity Baldanders looking like a beautiful angel. Yes. With, with a glowing a, with mace. With an electric mace. Yeah. With, yeah. A, with a, a mace of lightning plus two. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, rolls a great weapon, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, wielded one hand because he's got 40 strength. <laughs> Uh, he floats out of out of the thing, and Severian literally goes, "I don't know how he got back up there." <laughs> right? Yeah. I never figured that out. I never figured out how he got back up there and put on his anti gravity belt, and got his big mace. Anyway, he started attacking me. <laughs> Batman Severian is not. You know, no. <laughs> he got the anti gravity belt. He went to his anti gravity belt lair and went became Batman, and then an anti gravity back up there. Severian, yeah. easy, easy, boom, one, two, three. Gravity belt go down, can go back up. I actually love that later the anti-gravity belt flies into the sky and disappears. It's so funny. After Bolt Handers falls into the lake, they just like, they're watching the water and it's like, zzz. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Uh, because it's anti- it was too attuned for him, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's what it's counterbalancing him, but yeah, so it makes him fall slow and uh, presumably it's like a device that that is to help control the fact that he's like massive. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like helpful for him. It's an, it, it, weirdly enough, like an assistive device. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That also so helps big. you like beat up a, a twink. Not he's not wearing a shirt. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like that's the the additional maneuver here. Uh, 
and uh, he does that. Yeah, he starts beating the hell. I mean, he's beating the hell out of him. Uh, he's hitting the ground near him to do AOE attacks. Mm-hmm. He there's a bit where they 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 enter the magic circle. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the summer of agency continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they all of the lake guys surround him, and they're like, "I, I don't know, man. You're the one 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 v oneing him." Let's, you know, there are some oh, opportunities. Oh, we've forgotten that Uh-oh. Baldanders has like a, a wand of fear. Does it's he? like a fear generating field. I don't remember this. What's his? I thought he was just big. Was, no, Severian is like, and that's the moment where I felt scared. My, my like s- skin started crawling oh, and my, yeah. my s- oh. scalp. And because that's why he says yeah, that all the people surround Baldanders, but they're too afraid to like fight him. And I think it's like a biophysical thing. I think you he's think like that actually he is cast feel- fear, yeah, the level three spell, yeah, or whatever zone of fear, yeah, cloak of fear. I guess it says I was not afraid of him or of death, but simply that I was afraid. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's getting him. Yeah, you know, it's like ray of sickness. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like you didn't, eat it. you didn't eat bad gazpacho or whatever. Yeah. You got hit with it, and it makes you barf. This is the yeah cloak of fear. Level five. He would, yeah, he would have that, he would have that spell. I think that that's, yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely he does. But so anyway. you know what Severian has? The Sword the of the Lictor, Terminus oh. Est. That's right. <laughs> For though he was large and strong enough to wear armor as thick as a destrier's bardings, he had none. And so heavy a blade with so fine an edge, easily capable of cleaving an ordinary man to the waist, could deal him his death wound with a single cut. This he knew, and so we fenced much as players do upon a stage with sweeping blows, but without actually coming to grips. It rules. Yeah, it's great. Cool big fight. And he's hammering down and, like, smashing the the ground, and he's smashing the ground so hard that it's becoming shrapnel, and that's cutting Severian? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Baldander is is rad. And then, yeah, so they just straight-up classic... Uh, a movable object, mm-hmm. you know, versus the unstoppable force. The that mace gets blocked with Terminus S, and they both blow up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's cool. That's neat to me. That's storytelling. <laughs> there was such a scream as might have been made if all the specters of all the men and women she had slain were gathered on the wall. Then a deafening explosion. He's been killing people, remember? All up and down this damn yeah. continent. Well, that thing's been killing people for like a thousand years. Right, true. Yes, yes. It's Because it, it's old world tech. Yeah. It's when all those machines were there. The machines were like, you know, it would be cool. <laughs> you know, it would be like goth as shit to make a, like an executioner's blade. You know, but it doesn't have a point. Yeah, that's the cool thing, though. Like, it doesn't have a point. Square blade. Let's do it. Oh, and what if we put like mercury in it? That would make it like... Really chopped good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. 3D print that bad boy. Touched by no human hand. That's who made that sword. And what if we put Greek on it or Latin, whatever the hell? Something old. Something old. Put that old shit on there. God. People love it more. But anyway, so yeah, so it blows up and it like the mercury or whatever it is is like leaking out everywhere. Mm -hmm. Silver tears. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Severian's getting mercury poisoning from touching it. And but the people, that's it. Life. They're like, that, oh, we got him. You you hit, you hit, put the one-turn stun on Baldanders. We got it from here, champ. 
Yeah, and they started just stabbing the hell out of him, poking him with their seal bone spears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. And then he just goes and jumps in the water. Yep. And he's like, I'm out. Bye. Where's the, where's the ocean god to come and eat him? Or the lake god? That would have been cool. In the mind movie adaptation where this is the last <laughs> book, or this is the final movie, we're not doing yeah, the rest. Yes, yeah. The, the lake god and eats him. I imagine it yeah. is like a big cartoon orca and it like pops its head out of the yes. water and like winks at Severian. You're welcome, Severian. <laughs> and it blows water out the blowhole. Yeah. And then and then what's in the blowhole water? The claw of the conciliator. He <laughs> That's has it. Right. It kind of floats on the pillar of water a little yeah, bit. Exactly. And then the little baby removes a mask and it wasn't a baby at all. It was the chief of the pelerines. And he gives it back to them and he's the hero. <laughs> The end. I was enchanted, Severian. Yes. <laughs> to look like a giant baby. <laughs> I was in science. <laughs> uh, uh, also, uh, Dorcas is back. I don't know. Don't ask. She's just there in the final scenes. No one talks about how she got there. Just, I've repaired Terminus S, Severian. <laughs> it wasn't broken. It was an illusion made by science. <laughs> Baldander's is kind of a like a what's it Mysterio? Yeah, he's kind of a Mysterio. He's kind of a Mysterio. He's got the mist and shit going on there. He should have a big head orb. Mm-hmm. That's what he's missing. But uh, yeah, he jumps in the water and just straight disappears, which is cool. I think. Yep. Not killed, just gone. Yeah. Uh, and then I mean, there's some other stuff that happens here, but uh, you know who doesn't show up in this book at all? Think of Jonas. all the people it could be. Jonas doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. That's true. Heathor uh, never shows up. Yeah. I thought it was him for a minute at the very beginning of these readings where it was like someone's walking around mm-hmm. me at, at sleep in, while I'm asleep. Yeah. Um, and and I also almost thought I, I kind of there's a section earlier where they talk about um, they talk about this is the lake the people who live on the lake. I keep calling and calling them the lake people, but there's also the shore people and that's actually confusing to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I try to just call them the people from the lake. Yep. They say, um, after the melting of ice this year, the people of the castle return. Their hands are full of gifts, riches, and the strange weapons you turned against the shore people. There are others who come there too, but whether it's servants or masters, we of the lake don't know. And and uh, Severian goes, from the north or the south? And then he says, from the sky, and pointed up to yeah. where the faint stars hum, hung, dim by the majesty of the sun. But I thought he meant only that the visitors would come in flyers and inquired no further. And this is probably the, the hero duels, the higher duels, right? Yeah. But when I first read it, I was like, oh, is this Hathor's ship? Did, did Hathor's ship crash here somewhere Ooh. or land here? And, like, they came from the sky. And then we went south from here. But I don't think that that's true. But on first read through, I was like, Where's, where is he? Where's that weird yeah. freak? Well, yeah, we only know of a few people who've come from the skies. So right, it's like and he's one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he's up ahead still somewhere. That's worth remembering. He's Bald ahead Anders of you! Exclamation point! Like the chapter right. said. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Severian from this point, he's real sad about uh, Terminus Est. He takes the shards of Narsil. I, I mean, the pieces of Terminus Est, <laughs> and hucks uh, them in the lake, but keeps the pommel. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like the, the whole handle piece. And he says, uh, you know, it's going to have another blade. Yeah. It won't be as good. but that, And that's cool. I think that's like cool fantasy And even shit. if it's not mine, he says. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even it cannot be perfect and will not be mine. That's sick. Mm-hmm. He burns the sheath, the manskin sheath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably this is move. how Kylo Ren gets it later. <laughs> that's right. And that's then puts right. a lightsaber crystal, puts a kyber crystal in there. It burns mm-hmm. real hot. 
I love you couldn't help yourself there. It's Well, the thing is. You had to be like, it's a kyber crystal. The thing is, it didn't used to have to be a kyber crystal, but in the current continuity, they're all called kyber crystals. Huh. Yeah, it used to be you could put like other types of crystals in mm-hmm. there, and they weren't yeah. explicitly kyber crystals. Yeah, I played KOTOR. Yeah, well. They all had a lot, bunch of different names. Yeah, create dragon pearls and whatnot. Yeah. Not anymore. Can't do that anymore. They're it's all, all ki- called, crystal? even if the the crate kyber or the, the crate dragon pearl is a type of kyber crystal now. Oh, sure, I don't want to get into sense. it. There's a special episode of AMCA of More Civilized Age about this where you had Keith Carberry come on to complain about this. Because Keith is in a <laughs> Keith is in a Wikipedia war or was in a Wikipedia war about this briefly, <laughs> trying to convince them. Because now all the mm, people should just go listen to that. But there's a <laughs> there's a sort of retcon retcon happening where uh-huh. even in the era where it wasn't all called Kyber Crystals. Uh-huh. The legends like section of the of the Wikipedia uh, stuff is now calling them Kyber crystals, oh. even though there was a time in mm. history where you wouldn't have done that. You would They're have colonizing them, history. They're, they're colonizing the legends themselves. Yes, right. uh-huh. that's right. Sounds like a Dave Filoni move. It does to me personally. It's like a hat that straight. It's a cowboy hat that stretches forward and backward from any given moment in time. <laughs> and begins to to uh, uh, cast its shadow and, and prevent the light of the sun. <laughs> this is the thing. Severian should have taken the blade out forever ago and just put the dang claw right in the hilt. <laughs> Gotten himself a lightsaber. That's right. He could have done. He didn't know he could do that. At he this didn't. Point. He hadn't. Yeah, he no. hadn't read the strategy guide. Also, it would have been a, a kind of thing where he would like hit people to kill them, and it would have brought them back to life immediately. <laughs> and that would have been not cool. <laughs> the hero duels trying to convince, trying to lead Severian naturally into the lightsaber. <laughs> <clears throat> what if something else went in the hilt <laughs> of your sword, Severian? Something else you find dear. A Dorcas is way too big to fit in the hilt <laughs> of my sword, guys. Like no. Severian opens the inventory screen and starts like doing a combo with everything. <laughs> the whetstone? Do I put the whetstone? The broken whetstone? Oh no! I split the whetstone earlier. Do I have to go back and get the other half of the I'm, whetstone? Oh, I'm soft locked. <laughs> but uh, but so he does that. And he throws the throws the pieces of terminus est, other than the the kind of handled part. He hangs on to it, throws the rest in the lake. Now, by the by, Baldanders is in the lake. Yeah, dude. I wouldn't throw shit in the lake. <laughs> you don't know. He's a genius. Yeah. His, his superpowers combining he shit. He's MacGyver. He's MacGyver. Yeah, that's what it is. You're going to get killed by your own. Anyway, but so he's doing that. And then he's like walking around looking for the claw for a while. Mm-hmm. And he is like, he does. You mentioned it earlier, but he's like, if I don't find this crystal, I love life, but I'll kill myself <laughs> and not think twice about it because I've got one thing to live for, and it's giving this thing back to the Pellerids. Lo and behold, he does not find it. He finds it smushed up because Bald Andrews throws good. Yeah. It's smashed on a rock. And earlier, you know, multiple times, people have been like, that's just a rock. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just some random crystal. Piece of corundum, I believe, is what Dr. Talos calls it. Uh-huh. Right. And so all this is going on. And uh, so he find he, he sees it, it's smashed. It makes him sad. And he's like taking, uh, he gathers up all the little pieces that are smashed. And he throws it in the lake and he goes back and gathers up little pieces and throws it in the lake, goes back. And then he's like, oh, wait, here's the rock that it smashed on. It's got a big crack in it. There's something down in there. And then we get this really weird explanation where he goes to the pine forest and like get some pine leaves, all this stuff, pine stick, <laughs> comes yeah. back. Starts fishing around in that crack, and he finds 
turns out the whole thing is not the claw. The claw is the flaw in the center of the gym. Yeah. Which was its own gym. But is, in fact, separately, yeah. Right. So it wasn't actually like a flaw. It was just... You know, the, it was the mosquito in the 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 amber <laughs> mm-hmm. that contained the dino DNA. You know, right. it was a thing inside of. I do love thing. that it looked like an imperfection in the gem that happened yeah. to take the shape of a claw, but actually was a physical second internal rock stone. Yeah, gem. it's great. Yeah. That is a claw. You know, it's like it. Uh, you know, it like is funny fingernail. that throughout these books, they are constantly like, "No, it's called the claw, but it's not a claw." Come on, guys. It's not a claw. It's a claw. It was a claw the whole time. Gotcha. (laughs) It is. Yet it's shown a claw as long as the last joint of my smallest finger, cruelly hooked and needle pointed. The reality of that dark core at the heart of the gym, which must have been no more than a container for it, a lipsanthotheca or a pix. And to some degree, this was set up a little bit before in the way that... um, the it's in this book where he's like, I felt silly for thinking it needed to come out of the bag to work. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was always in a bag. Even when it's not in the bag, it's in the back. Yeah. Right. It was in like a little container. Yeah. That's so right. he finds it and then he starts contemplating, uh, you know, in the way that one might contemplate an orb. Say, uh-huh. Oh yeah. He starts contemplating. And it's like, Oh shit. This makes me like understand all of reality. Yeah. <laughs> and get real religious real quick. <laughs> But it's like it. Well, it, it's that. But also, it seems to erase thought by replacing yeah, it with a higher state of super thought. Well, it does make a lot of sense now why it's like erasing people's memory and shit. Right. When people wake up, they're like, "Whoa!" Or like come back to life. They're like, yeah. "I don't. Who am I? What's going on?" And the yeah, answer it's is because they've like encountered the numinous. Yeah. Via this rock, and like maybe this is like some of the explanation of why Jonas was like so out of it. You know what yeah. I mean? And like yeah. having such a bad time is it's like mind wiping him, and then like whatever you come to is whatever you get. Yeah, you know. Uh, and then yes, uh, after a long series of these, bo- so he would like uh, <laughs> he would he would consider his claw. He would he would contemplate the claw, and then be like, whoa, okay, I gotta back off. I'm almost losing myself to this to this state of wonder. Right. I'm 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 almost giving into it. Right. Um, and then after the series of bold advances and fearful retreats, I came to understand that I should never reach any real knowledge of the tiny thing I held. And with that thought, for it was a thought, came a third state, one of happy obedience to I knew not what an obedience without reflection, because there was no longer anything to reflect upon and without the least tincture of rebellion. This state endured all that day and a large part of the next, by which time I was already deep into the hills. Walking in the good word of the Lord. Oh, yeah. It's God's country, y'all. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Pure obedience. Now, see, pure science, unhinged by anything, bad. Uh, That'll make a huge baby. That'll make a huge baby. And an anti-dwarf. You're abusing. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. And and an anti-dwarf. And a fox man. But... Pure, pure obedience upon nothing to nothing that you can understand. Now that, that's going to bring us to book four. That's forward momentum. And it does. Let me tell you. Uh, it is pretty fun that he does the same thing that he does at the beginning of the first book where he's like, we went from gate to gate. Mm-hmm. And here's like, we're, we went from fortress to fortress. I think that's fun. Yeah, it's fun. That's nice. Here I pause. If you have no desire to plunge into the struggle beside me, reader, I do not condemn you. It's no easy one. 
because our boy Severian's going to war. And uh, we'll see some characters that uh, that we've met before and some characters who might be like characters we've met before, mm. which is fun. There's also this appendix. Which um, we talked about. We talked, we talked about. about we need to. It really doesn't have much to it other than what we joked about. Old GW. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. He does give us uh, some word definitions, which is pretty fun. I was going to say, the thing that jumps out at me as I put in the show notes is uh, like the offhand suggestion that the separation of powers and government are unworkable. Yeah, from GW himself. Yep. He's like, hey, I don't know about the Supreme Court thing. Mm -hmm. You think GW would be like a pack the courts guy? No. You don't think so? You don't think he'd be like, well, whatever. Democracy. GW or Gene Wolfe? GW. Oh, maybe. What about Gene Wolfe? No. You think not he's after like, reading no, this? Nine's no. the right number. <laughs> yeah, a holy number. Should only had seven. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I don't know, and it's weird, right? Because like the closer we get to the god stuff, yeah, the more it's like you have to start. I mean, that's not true. I shouldn't say it's like the closer you get to because the, there's been plenty of objectionable, like outright objectionable stuff in these books well before. Yeah, this stuff, to be clear. And I say objectionable, I mean objectionable to me, but also I do mean that like some of the previous stuff that we talked about regarding things like gender um, or sexuality have been like especially tainted with uh, some gross, some some real gross and harmful shit um, that I think you can contextualize in the era of his writing. You can can contextualize inside of his broader belief system. And we've done our best to do that. And I don't think that it makes it unfun to read the books. Like I think that like for me, I've said this before, but like, I am a black queer man living in America. Good luck finding the thing in pop culture that doesn't have some moment where I feel othered in it. You know what I mean? Or, or mm-hmm. worse, feel dehumanized or feel. You know what I mean? There is a lot right. in the. You learn to navigate. You learn to find yourself in things that hate you um, over time, uh, and you learn to to do either reparative work uh, reads of works. Uh, or to to kind of scavenge your way uh, through and to find people who who parts of what they write resonate with you, even if they can never replicate your whole being. I think that's true for everybody, not yeah. just for people who are from marginalized, uh, uh, you know, backgrounds and identities. But there is also something happening, which is like the focal point of interest is changing in the book. Mm-hmm, and that yeah. isn't about objectionable content in in the cultural sense uh it is about hey is this about to become another genre of book that isn't as interesting um and i think that's the the more open question for me is if this becomes the type of fantasy i don't love as much will i how will i feel about it you know mm-hmm. regardless of of how it fits in with gene's catholicism or other yeah. stuff but as an ex-catholic well, i think there's probably stuff there for me to engage yeah. with academically at the very least Well, I can give you, you know, like a big schematic, which is like the last book is pretty evenly split between being a war novel, Mm -hmm. which I'm excited about, and then a science fiction conversion story, Mm -hmm. which is way weirder than you could Damascus, but Damascus is Mars. I, I, it gets way weirder than that. Oh, okay. That's exciting to me though. We're not going to Mars or anything like that, but it is much stranger than anything I could ever summarize to you. I promise. And it plays much closer to like a, the, especially like the last or the middle third of the book plays very similarly to like a, uh, like 1940s science fiction romp. Like it it just go, it goes to a place that you would not 
predict, but the content in terms of like the kind of religious significance and maybe hitting us over the head with all that stuff too much. Right. That also amps up at the same time. So it, sure. I promise you the last book is way weirder than you ever, would ever think. And like I've said before, the last sixth or so, like, you know, the last five chapters are bewildering mm-hmm. in just what happens. Yeah. So like, there's, we're going to have a lot to talk about. The, the way I would put it is that in terms of religious content, Gene Wolfe was very much a Catholic. I will not argue with that. But I also have the feeling if his novels are anything to go by, if you put Gene Wolfe and the Pope in a room together, the Pope would leave that room and say to, you know, his his like attendant or whatever. Bring me the guy who gave me Undertale back. <laughs> like, I don't know what was up with that guy, but like, I want to talk to I want to talk about Goat Mom and the Skeleton again. Let's go back to that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. So, so the, I, but yeah, I think in a general sense, you're going to feel clobbered over the head in some places, but that will be matched equally by some of the weirdest shit you've ever read in your life. Sure. It's that's not exciting. as, that's it's fun. Not, none of it, unfortunately for me, none of it's like blow by blow bangers. You know, it's right. not like this book where it's just like, oh, this is a weird thing after a weird thing happening. It's, it becomes less like programmatically weird, but big concept wide. Right. Or wise. Can't get weirder than it gets. So anyway, I, big concept wide. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, love it. Great wide. It's much like uh, some sort of uh, a cowboy hat untethered through time. It casts a shadow, of course, between uh-huh. us and the knowledge of the sun. <laughs> the shadow of the cowboy hat. Oh, I see now. That's right. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Range Touch. You can go to our Patreons in the description wherever you're listening to this. You can go to the Patreon to get access to bonus episodes. We're gonna have a bonus episode out shortly that will uh be about the borges book uh labyrinths which is going to be really fun we're, we're each going to be talking about our top five things from that book we've got a long catalog of uh other bonus episodes and uh hopefully if the amptp will make a deal with sag after we'll get back to watching movies we got a big list of them we were supposed to watch. There were movies on this list that i have never seen before and i was so excited Same. to finally see and same We'll just and do like MTPT. nine in one episode. Yeah, we just have to. Yeah, we'll have to <laughs> rush them. Boss Rob. Yeah, rush I had Buckaroo Banzai on there. You know, I had some stuff. Yeah. Make a deal, AMPTP. Come to the break. table. Come to the table. Break. Give them what they want. They're going to. I mean, it's going to happen yeah. soon. Yeah. It might happen even before like this episode comes out. But um, uh, I hope it does. But we'll get back to movies soon once the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the people who have the opportunity to negotiate decide to make a fair deal for the workers. So did y'all like not to mm-hmm. not to continue to plug my own stuff, but did either of yeah. you get a chance to listen to the more civilization where we talked to Adam Conover about what these negotiations are actually like? No, but I have heard Adam, Adam Conover talk about it a little well, bit. But we I, got I'm some sure stuff that had not that. come up. Yeah, oh, Michael. No, tell us about oh yeah, no, I, I haven't heard. Like I am. I think I'm on the in the backlog. I think I'm in the episode just before that one. Okay, it's super fun, and I mean, like, given what we're talking, given that it's about the the strike, you would, you know, there's some there's mm-hmm. some downbeats and stuff because uh, sure. you know you have to consider the media ecology that we're writing in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of that has to come to the forefront. But there's some yeah. stuff that comes out in that in that interview that Adam said had not come up in previous interviews, and that like I had never heard before. Like, for instance, the AMPTP itself is not authorized to go to the table. They're a legal organization, which I'm, I'm going to spoil a little bit. You should go listen sure. to this whole podcast. Please. But they exist in a mall, in an outdoor mm-hmm. mall in L.A., uh, the Galleria, next to a, a Buffalo Wild Wings. 
Um, and they don't have the authorization to to negotiate. Mm-hmm. The thing, the one thing that they are authorized to do is to say no. That's it. Yeah. And so the entire the studios have to come to the table, right? Correct. And so the yeah. AMP, uh, PTP could go back to the studios and say they want X, but the thing that they're allowed to do is to say no. They're mm-hmm. not even allowed to bring a counter from the studio. The studios have to then go – have to themselves get to the table. So it's like they've built a, like a fire break between themselves and the table. So there's one extra procedural layer of distance <laughs> <laughs> so that they won't fuck up one day and go to the table. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. Like they don't walk to the t- walk by the table on the way to work. You know, Things are just it's much easier wild. at the table when we're all friends. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's so messed up. Uh, and the, the, that conversation is filled with details like that. Um, it, it's been a few months now, but if you go to a more civilizedage.net or look for it in the uh, in your podcast player of choice uh, or podcast app of mm-hmm. choice, you will you will find it. Uh, it's, yeah, and all of that stuff, you know, like you were saying, you know, there's some downbeats to it, and it's like, yeah, there's like there a huge be. amount of people who are like straight up out of work. Yes. You know, I have I have friends who work in the film industry in Atlanta. Right. And that despite being in a town that is overwhelmingly associated with non-union work, I mean, that's that's a part of the reason, right, that Atlanta has exploded is that there's ways of getting around the more traditional union structures. You know, lots of uh, of uh, reality TVs filmed in Atlanta, for example. Right. Right. Um, But uh, but yeah, like I got friends that work at studios who are just like, you know, technical people and they just got nothing going on. But they also recognize I I haven't talked to a single one of those people who has not been like, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm figuring some other stuff out, but I can't, you know, I want those people to make a deal because it, you know, it demonstrates power. So, um, yeah, it's good stuff. And, you know, and now I'm getting to hear those people because they are, you know, uh, uh, making some of the. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, making rent basically by going and doing some, you know, moonlighting work in reality TV. Right. And let me tell you, hearing stories from those folks, that's the, where the good stuff is. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I hope they win. Yeah, me too. Patreon.com. You think the MPGP's got like a lightning uh, mace? Yeah, they're not allowed to use that either. They actually just have to hold it and it emits the fear aura that they can mm-hmm. use. They're allowed to use the fear aura, but they're <laughs> not allowed to right. use its um <laughs> its, you know, once per turn uh, AoE right. attack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but it auto it doesn't even use a bonus action. Right. No, it's not even a bonus action. It's a free, it's just a passive on it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um it does only trigger once per turn though. So you do if you get a bonus attack, you don't get the AoE with it, you get the regular follow-up attack, you know. Right, right, of course. Well, and also too, that means because it's once per turn and not uh constant, you could save against it, take an action during your turn. Correct. And then, you know, hopefully save next turn. Yeah. But uh we got all kinds of stuff for you over there uh and on the Patreon, and we think you'll like it. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, uh Apple Pop Podcasts, podcasts, <laughs> uh Give us five stars. It's like a, a, a cool thing to do. Um, and maybe if you do that, I will uh, read your review on the show. If you give us five stars, it's got to be five. If you don't give us five, you don't get the thing. This is from uh, Wit, Wit Swarrow. Better than eschatology. <laughs> this podcast is just far better than anything written by Dr. Talos. <laughs> this podcast will bring forth the new son. <laughs> That's good, right? <laughs> yeah. This is also from uh, this is from PAL from PAL. Better than Netflix. 
I listen to this show and all the range touch content more than I watch Netflix. No question. Damn, get them. That's right. <laughs> I have to issue a correction uh-huh. for something I said at the beginning. I said earlier that um, the hero duels uh, traveled back in time yeah. and gave Gene Wolf uh, drowning pools, let the body hit the floor. Yeah, that's not true. They went back in time and asked him leading questions until he'd invented it himself. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear. They couldn't. So they didn't want to. If a body is removed from life, dear Gene, where would the where would the remnant, the material remnant, go of a life? Like a grave, like a like into the ether. No, I don't know no, what Gene no. Wolf sounds like. I'm not going to do a Gene Wolf. <laughs> no, do a Gene Wolf. Take that Keep back. going. I don't, in my mind, he's here. He's a little nasally and a little round, but thoughtful. He's putting thought. Where's he from? Where's Gene from? He's te- he spent a good deal of his time in Texas. Uh, oh, but he actually, I spent. I think by the end of his life, he had spent the majority of it in Illinois. Maybe yeah. he's down here a little bit. I, I was Maybe watching an he's... interview with him, and you were actually weirdly close. I think at your first run. Ah, hell yeah. <laughs> This, that's a real recognized real. Let me tell you, that's uh, there, but <laughs> by the grace of God, go I. Um, well, anyway, it's in the episode. Next time we're reading the first piece of um, the last book of the quadrilogy, Citadel of the Autark. I can tell you how much we're reading once I pull it up and stop having to speak slowly. Mm-hmm. We'll be reading chapters one through nine of Citadel of the Autark. Oh, I have a poem, don't I? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Amid these stacks so straight and tall with tomes lined end to end, how are you to find your way? It's shelved by genre, friend. 